Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Catherine. Yes. I've got Tony Fisher in the studio with me. You haven't? Yeah, it's making me very, very uncomfortable. Why, you're a massive fan? Uh, uh, you can't take it. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> Listener, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. You'll be hearing that voice again in just a few minutes' time. Oh, the producers decided to join us for the show today. How marvellous! We've got a full compliment. Lots coming up. A big defeat for David Cameron yesterday as MPs in the Commons voted against the principle of military action in Syria. Are you glad that we won't be intervening or are you feeling a little bit disappointed? There are concerns about the growing use of flares and smoke bombs at Watford away games. Well, is football really a family-friendly game anymore? And a blind woman was asked to leave a bakery in Hertfordshire after being told the customers wouldn't like her guide dog near their food. Shoppers apologised, as they should do, but have you ever faced discrimination? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR... You can send me a text to 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a call 08459 455555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. A carer who was caught asleep during her night shift at a residential home in Buckinghamshire was sentenced yesterday to a total of 18 months in prison. Henrietta Afire, an illegal immigrant who worked at Westlands in Olney, was given 13 months for neglect and five months for getting work using false documentation. Well, our reporter, Tony Fisher, was at the court yesterday. Tony, what did the judge say? Well, Ian, Judge Francis Sheridan uh, said that Henretta Afai cheated her way into the job and cheated her way through the job. He labelled her conduct as lazy, cruel, unacceptable and a disgrace. Um, he emphasised the frail nature of the residents, many of them uh, in their 80s, 90s and even 100 years old, some with dementia, uh, one even had breast cancer. He said to her, you were their protector on the night shift. You were nothing like their protector. Um, He then described how she made basically life easy for herself, unplugging uh, the personal alarms of some of these people, double padding the residents. He said this wasn't a one-off. You made a practice of this. Uh, You boasted about this in your previous home. That was your modus operandi. As someone who's got... uh, My mum's in a care home, and you do think... uh, I mean, there have been a few incidents there, nothing like this. You're trusting your loved ones with these people and and if someone like this is behaving like this, it's it's incredible what did the judge say about the fact that she was an illegal immigrant who'd got the job using false documentation um well the court heard that she'd come into this country in 2001 from ghana um the home office seized her passport uh, we were told and the judge suggested that was probably a fake passport in the first place um, then after she was exposed uh, in her job at Westlands, um, her, her genuine passport that she'd used in the name of Mabel Menser uh, in order to get employment in the first place was also seized. Um, the judge explained how that passport was used to gain employment at another care home uh, and the judge said careful planning had gone into getting that employment uh, as she was able to produce a Lloyds bank account, NHS card and an energy bill uh, having used that uh, in genuine uh, uh, passport in the first place um, um, which was a, a genuine passport of someone called Mabel Menser who was a Belgian. Um, 
She pleaded guilty, however, to gaining employment using false documentation. A judge said he would give her full credit for that, um, and so she got uh, a month off her original sentence of six months. That was reduced to five months. Um, and as for her deportation, um, that is, the judge said, for another court um, at an, another so time. So she doesn't get automatically deported once she's finished her jail sentence? The current status is that she has been refused leave to appeal, uh, refused leave uh, to stay in this country, and she has appealed that decision, and that appeal process is going on now, uh, but that is obviously up to the Home Office. Mm. Her partner has also uh, is, is waiting on his application to stay in this country. He's also Ghanaian. Um, she has two children in this country. Um, who were both born in this country, but as uh, one of the residents' families, uh, families of one of the residents said, she's basically cheated her way, you know, through life ever since she came into mm. this country, and we don't even know what her real name is. Boot her out. That's my opinion, <laughs> by the way. That's not necessarily the official opinion of the BBC. It's something I feel very passionate about. What has been the reaction of the families of the residents? Well, they obviously praise the care home for exposing her in the first place. Um, they say many places this probably would have been swept under the carpet. Uh, they say that uh, she betrayed the families, the workers, uh, and the other residents there. Obviously, uh, a very worrying situation. Um, talking about that uh, false documentation, this is uh, Maggie Tolliday, who's a daughter of one of the former residents at the Westlands Care Home. She was cunning. She had paperwork which was flawed plausible enough to get through the checks and it is possible that you know she could she could other people can go on and they just keep going keep going keep going because that passport existed it had a reality it was a real passport it wasn't a fake it got through the system and that's very very difficult to guard against what about the managing uh, director of the care home uh, the managing director of the care home, Chris Ryan, uh, talked about um, all the things that she'd done wrong, double padding the residents, unplugging the alarms, um, which was a fairly deliberate procedure because to if you unplugged an alarm, it would trigger another alarm, which she then had to disable. The judge suggested that must have been done in the cases of all 11 residents with alarms deliberately before she went to sleep. Uh, uh, and so, you know, that made, made the whole thing doubly worse. Uh, this is the managing director chris ryan talking about just that initially they tried to make the point that the alarms could come um un unattached by somebody else pulling them out and that simply yes they, it could happen but not without the alarm going off they they are designed that if something like that were to happen a resident were to accidentally pull it out um then it will alarm to alert us to that fact so the only way it could happen was for her to have pulled the alarm out and then reset it at some stage earlier in the evening um, and then to put it back in so that anybody, uh, to, to the casual observer, it looked like it was still in, was clearly done on purpose. Uh, and we'll hear more, Ian, from the uh, managing director, Chris Ryan, later on in the programme. Uh, but he added that, um, you know, we, we can't be sure that this isn't going on in other care homes. Uh, perhaps uh, finally, there was another carer who was uh, acquitted at a previous trial on the same evidence, which seems rather strange. We don't know what's going to happen to her, but it's possible that she could be retried, um, though in theory uh, you need new evidence to do that. Um, and the evidence in both cases <coughs> was exactly the same. One carer has been acquitted. Uh, this one is serving 18 months in jail. Tony Fisher, thank you very much indeed. If you want to have your say on that, 08459 As someone who's got a parent in a care home... I kind of take this stuff very personally. That's why I do think, well, well, listen, let this woman serve a sentence, then thanks very much. Bye-bye. We don't, we don't want people like that.
And while I'm all for um, migrant workers coming over here and doing jobs, we don't want people like that looking after our vulnerable people, taking advantage of them, do we? Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Well, this is something that Henrietta Fire hasn't got. Freedom. Morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. See, Wham were good. George Michael on his own, bit boring. I don't, if you're talking to me, Paul Scoins, I can't hear you because I'm doing the radio. Political reporter Paul Scoins is here for other radio stations. He's trying to communicate with me using the internal communication device. I'm busy presenting a radio show, mate. I know you're sat there for the next three hours not doing a lot. 08459 455 555. It's only a four-day week, and the, the show's already got a distinctly Friday feeling about it. We're all, we're all very relieved it's the weekend, I know. Aren't we getting lazy as we get old? It's partly because it's so dark when you drive in in the mornings. Oh, winter is upon us. Winter is upon us. 6.16. Let's get the travel news. Uh, the sun ain't rising anymore. So Paul McCartney's released a new song called New. Should we have a listen to it? See if it's any good. I've only heard the beginning. This is the new Paul McCartney song. There's 30 seconds left. Where's he going to go with it? Anywhere? Ah. Rock chorus, anyone? <laughs> It's the frog chorus, isn't it? I tell you what, let's not get my opinion straight away. Let's go to our musical expert, Justin Dealey. Justin, that was the new Paul McCartney song. What did you reckon? Uh, what do I think of that? <laughs> um, I'm going to give it 7 out of 10. Not bad. So, somebody said, I'll tell you what, Macca, let's try and make a song that sounds a bit like the Beatles. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do Paul McCartney by numbers. Yes. That's produced by someone famous as well. Is that, is that, is that the Ronson track? Uh, possibly. possibly. You literally have no idea. No, I've got no idea. I, I heard yesterday he had made a new single. Of course, that's rare for Paul McCartney. I don't think that's too bad, no. because normally... He's released they, they, a... F- he's re- he's not that rare, Justin. He's, he's had a few in the past. Yeah, but recently. We're talking in recent terms. When was his last one? I can't remember. Uh, it was about two, three years ago. Yeah, so well. So well. So well. So, so a while. Seven so, out of ten. Okay, right. I, I, I would uh, I would give it a, a six out of ten, mm. but it will grate on me and it'll be a three out of ten by the end of the week. I ah, see. I think it's a grower. I do no. think it's a grower. No. No. <laughs> it was Mark. It was Mark Ronson that produced uh, oh, that lovely. produced that. Who's, uh, I believe is very popular with uh, the kids. Yeah. <laughs> now, the reason we got you on very important story: the use of flares and smoke bombs at some of Watford Football Club's away games has been criticised by the Supporters Trust vice chairman. Peter Brown made his comments after we received an email from a supporter who said he may have to rethink uh, about taking his three young kids to games because of them. Justin, uh, you know, I'm not particularly a football fan. What, what yeah. exactly has been going on at Watford? Uh, well, well, this uh, issue seems to centre around uh, away games for Watford. Uh, we were alerted by supporter Paul, who sent us an email. Now, he originally went to the club about his concerns, but he hasn't heard back from Watford, so that's why he's come to us. He's worried about people lighting flares and smoke bombs close to him and his family. He says that other supporters openly plan to use these things at away games on unofficial message boards. I've actually had a look at some of these forums and uh, here's one of the comments from fans. It says, as no one else seems to have mentioned this, I thought that I should add the smoke bomb on Saturday created the best away atmosphere we've had in years, which I find fascinating how you need a smoke bomb to create an atmosphere around 4,000 away supporters. Are smoke bombs and flares allowed? 
allowed. I'm assuming they're not. Uh, no, it's all part of uh, the Sporting Events Act 1985, which says it's an offence for a person to enter or attempt to enter a football ground whilst in possession of a flare, smoke bomb or firework. The sentences uh, for these offences can be as much as three years in prison, and earlier this year, the policing minister, Damien Green, had this to say about it. There are lots of things that come into the uh, British game from abroad. Uh, flares are in danger of becoming uh, the latest fashion. They are a seriously bad idea. They don't add atmosphere, they just add danger. Earlier this year, uh, a 14-year-old boy was killed uh, in a match in Bolivia by a flare landing. They are very, very hot, they're very dangerous, they're out of control. And so, as the new Premier League season starts, it will be a very good idea if fans all over the country decided not to try and smuggle flares into ground. Somebody could get killed. Uh, we're talking about Watford here, but it's, this issue has affected Luton as well. Yep, I've seen them at Luton before. Uh, a game was stopped only a few years ago. Luton Millwall. Um, last week, an Aston Villa fan was convicted at Luton Magistrates for possessing a smoke bomb in view of the pitch. That was at the Luton versus Villa pre-season friendly. He was given a £220 fine and a three-year football banning order. So the courts, they are certainly taking this seriously because, as you've heard there, somebody could be killed. OK, we're running out of time this. One final question. The supporter who's been in touch with us via email, what does he want? Well, what he wants in a nutshell is for Watford to publish something to stop supporters taking these things. Now, yes, the law is one thing, but what he wants is for his club to come out and say, right, this is not right, you should not be taking these things or planning to take these things into a football ground because we want to create a family-friendly atmosphere and with flares and with smoke bombs, he feels that creates the wrong atmosphere. 20 seconds, Justin. Do you think things like this stop it being a, a place, a safe place to take kids? Um, absolutely, of course they do. I mean, I, I just don't understand as a football fan, I'm just giving you m- my honest opinion here, that, that, that why you need to take a flare or a smoke bomb, it doesn't create a better atmosphere and clearly, if you talk to any expert, these things are very, very dangerous. So if you're taking your child to a game and you're surrounded by a smoke bomb or somebody with a flare, that is not a safe place to be. Justin, thank you very much indeed. Listening to that was Mike Parkin, presenter of the Watford podcast from the Rookery End. Mike, what do you think? Flares and, and smoke bombs at football matches, is, is, is it acceptable behaviour? I think it's very difficult, Ian. I think, um, I would like to point out that at Watford, I've only ever seen smoke bombs. I think flares are a very different thing. They're the things you light, um, and they're the more pyrotechnic side of things, and I, I haven't seen those at Watford. Um, <clears throat> I would say that uh, I was at Reading last week, and um, smoke bombs are, are very smelly. Um, they're quite unpleasant to be around, um, and they, do, they don't create a nice atmosphere to be in. But I think, that, I think there's a wider issue with, with what's happening at Watford at the moment. I think there's a new generation of, of football fans at Watford who are really, really enjoying what is an exciting time at Watford, and I think this is a way of, uh, of people trying to express... But you don't, need, you don't need... What's wrong with a good round of applause and a cheer? You don't need a smoke bomb to express excitement, do you? No, I totally agree, and I think I think Justin alluded to it there. There was there was almost four thousand Watford fans at, at the Reading game, which we're talking about. And if you can't make an atmosphere amongst four thousand sort of um, people who are capable of getting themselves to an away game, then then something's something's wrong. Um, but I do think you know that, that, that people it, 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 there's a wider thing that what exciting things are happening at Watford, and people are trying to express themselves. And um, uh, I, I think it's more indicative of, of what's happening at Watford as opposed to sort of um, a deep rooted unpleasantness, if you like. Does that make sense? It does make sense. You're, you're saying it's coming from a place of celebration as opposed to a, a place of uh, potential violence. But do you think Watford should crack down, Mike, and, and, and come out and, and issue a statement against these smoke bombs? 
Um, yeah, I, think, I think the law is very clear, and I think people have to make their own their own judgment. You know, um, you won't catch me taking a smoke bomb, as Justin um, made very very clear. The laws are, are very obvious, and I think most people who are going to football matches can make their own mind up whether they want to break the law or not. Um, I don't necessarily think it, it needs everyone, every football club that's involved in the game to say, "Don't do this, don't do that." You can do this, you can't do that. The law is clear. So we're, we're asking this morning, Mike, whether football is still a, a family-based game. Now, listen, I'm not a football fan, as you know, but if my boys, when they got a little bit older, said, Dada, can you take me to a football match? Uh, of course I would. I would be slightly reluctant, though, if I thought there was a chance of smoke bombs and flares going off. Is football a family-friendly game? Absolutely. Yeah, never, never, more so now than ever, I think, Ian. The, the stadia are, are all geared up to, to families. Um, the, the stewards and, 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 and the clubs that you visit usually can't do enough. I've got a, a four-year-old daughter and a two-year-old son. Um, I've taken them both to Watford. They'll do everything in, in their power to, to make it easy for you. They'll from, from making ticket prices cheap to, to looking after the pushchair when you get there um, to making seats available that are um, away from, uh, you know, the noisier elements of the crowd. You know, football clubs do absolutely everything they can these days to make it a family-friendly thing. Um, Very quickly, in 20 seconds, when I did go to a football match last year, there was a lot of bad language in the crowd. I mean, very, very, but some of it was slightly racist, some of it was, was uh, filthy. Should that be clamped down on, do you think? Um, yeah, I think again, the people have got to take personal responsibility. In I think um, you know, I uh, you know, I love football and I, I get carried away and I won't lie to you. I've used the odd fruity um, bit of language myself. Um, but I think you mentioned racism. You mentioned uh, you know homophobic chanting's been in the press a little bit recently, and there's obviously absolutely no excuse for that. Um, and and, and I, I don't condone that in any shape or form. Mike, we have to end it there. Thank you. Always good to talk to you, Mike Parkin, uh, presenter of the Watford podcast from the Rookery End. You can uh, find that on iTunes. What do you think? Is football a, fra- a family-friendly game? Would you feel safe taking your kids to a football match with all the bad language and it is filthy? Um, and the smoke bombs, would you feel safe? And that's your latest news and sports. I'll be back with more at seven o'clock. What are you doing tonight, Kath? Uh, I'm going out to a pop concert. Good. Who am I seeing? Who are you seeing? I'm going to see the Ruttles. Oh, them. Do you know who they are? Yeah. They're, like they're a, not real. They're not real, but I'm going to go and see them. Neil Innes, bloke who runs a pub, and Ricky Fatar, who's in the Beach Boys for two years, so I'm going to take a Beach Boys record to get him to sign. Uh, the, they're like a fake Beatles band. Yeah. Yeah, that that Paul McCartney single sounded a bit like one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, but it was very, you know, if I was asked, you know, what makes a Paul McCartney track, it would be yeah. that, wouldn't let's, it? Let's input some data into a computer and see what comes out. Mm-hmm. I heard something, um, I got, heard some shocking news this morning. Oh, really? Share. Can you share? I can, Kath. You don't like being called Kath, No, Kath. I don't. My mum hates it. Well, but I, well, I don't care about your mum. I do care about well, her. I wouldn't would. want to see any harm. She'll be Kath. round here. Um, so, but why, I've been calling you Kath for ages. Yeah. And you don't like it? I really don't like it, but yes. I don't mind if it's people I like. But you know when people shorten your name and you don't like them anyway? Yeah. It's a massive affront. So can I still call you Kath? I mean, if you do, I won't, I won't complain. But I'm Catherine, really. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Wowzers. I mean, I called Paul Scoyne's PP. No reason. I know, Pee <laughs> I do, I know. Oh dear. Uh, coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show, we'll have the latest on Syria. We'll also have a BBC introducing track. 
good point to make your cup of tea. I am joking. I am joking. I bet it's a really good one this week. Uh, and also want to take your phone calls. 08459 455 555. We'll be talking about discrimination later on after a, a, a blind person was told, oh yeah, you can come into our bakery, leave the guide dog outside. Ever faced discrimination? And football, is it a family-friendly game? So Britain won't be taking military action in Syria after all. In an unexpected move, the government was narrowly defeated in the Commons last night with uh, MPs voting against any intervention. And it's a little bit embarrassing for David Cameron, the front page of the Times. Cameron humiliated as MPs veto missile strike on Syria. Guardian... Devastating blow to Tory leaders' authority. He's the first Prime Minister to lose a vote on a major foreign policy issue like this in modern times, and it makes him much weaker. Well, Labour leader Ed Miliband says his authority has been damaged. I think military intervention is now off the agenda for Britain, uh, and I'm afraid to say that's happened because the Prime Minister tried to go for an artificial political timetable uh, for intervention. Uh, He tried to bypass the United Nations, uh, and I'm afraid he's got to learn the lesson that Britain doesn't need that kind of cavalier leadership. Uh, a quick uh, look at some of the MPs who voted against uh, against it. Two, uh, out of 285 MPs who voted against the government, 30 Conservatives rebelled, including Steve Baker, the MP for Wickham, and Stephen McPartland, the MP for Stevenage, nine Liberal Democrats as well. 31 Conservatives didn't vote at all, including David Gork, Hertfordshire South West, Nadine Doris, uh, Bedfordshire Mid, and Anne Main, St Albans. Well, joined now by Jahangir Malik, who is uh, Islamic Relief's UK Director. Good morning, Jahangir. Good morning. Uh, you've just come back from Syria. Whereabouts were you, and, and, and what's it really like out there? I was in uh, northern Syria, um, uh, ventured into the region through southern Turkey, and um, it, it's uh, all about access, really, uh, the situation inside Syria. Um, you can get your sort of aid as far as, 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 as possible, and it's the challenge is, outside of Syria, there is coordinated humanitarian action. In other words, the UN infrastructure is up and running in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Egypt, and in, in the, all the other areas in where the refugees are heading out. Inside of Syria, where no international, where there is no major international presence and no UN presence, this is creating a real dire situation because the aid work is very sporadic, is very limited, it's, 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 um, it's a hit and miss, and it's very, very chaotic. So, therefore, uh, um, the work that's required inside is, is where the major attention should go to, and that's where the challenge lies. What were the Syrians saying to you, Jahangir? Were they feeling abandoned well, by the rest of the world? Well, they were, because this, remember, this is now two and a half years that they're facing that this kind of situation. I mean, you know, they, 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 they thought that, you know, in light of what happened in other parts of the world, that the attention, that they were going to get assistance, you know, year one passed, year two passed out, we're approaching the third year of this misery. So, uh, and what assistance are they asking for? Are they asking for military intervention or are they asking for humanitarian aid? Well, look, they need they immediately need humanitarian assistance. Okay, There's, the political debate is there. I mean, you know, it's it's a difficult situation. You got all different stakeholders in place, but uh, uh, you know, from a humanitarian perspective, which the media the need is right now, 
there's an overwhelming need of humanitarian aid and assistance. And, when, and in two and a half years, we haven't even been a, the international community hasn't even been, been able to secure um, aided uh, safety for aid work and aid workers of humanitarian aid corridors. So we haven't even been able to get um, a guarantee of humanitarian corridors for us to be able to get humanitarian aid and assistance in to Syria in the quantities that's needed. So over 100,000 dead, over you know, 7 million uh, affected, and the kind of uh, humanitarian aid and assistance that's needed inside is just simply not there. And that's, that's a major challenge. So you've got, you've got hos- makeshift hospitals, makeshift camps, you know, you've got all sorts of um, uh, needs, growing, growing, growing needs, medical needs. You know, people were dying as as I was there, they were coming in in, in, in great numbers. Um, children of, you know, wounds, shrapnel, and, you know, operations being carried out in, in, in open wards, in dirty places. In a, and so you know it was it was real dire situation. That's all because there is a lack of international presence inside of Syria. Britain won't and be taking military action uh, in in Syria now. Should they concentrate and, and, and focus on humanitarian action? I think one thing we can say is that Britain has been taking the lead on the humanitarian action. It's it's it, you know providing large largest amount of humanitarian aid and assistance. It's pushing. We can be proud of our international development uh, department of international development and par- proud of our international development leadership on providing international humanitarian assistance. And 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 we need Britain to push the other international uh, community, uh, Europe and uh, North America and so forth, to be able to do more. Now, but we need to get uh, some kind of political solution. But in the meantime, we need to push for some kind of uh, um, opportunity in which that more organized, protected uh, humanitarian passage will be made available so that all the aid organizations that are operating in the region can do more uh, especially inside Syria. I mean, I- Jahangir, sorry to cut you short. We have to we have to move on there. Uh, but thank you very much. You paint uh, well a very disturbing picture of the scenes that you have witnessed there. Jahangir Malik, Islamic Reliefs UK director. Thank you very much. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call on that. What do you think? We're not going to get involved on a military level uh, in Syria. Are you glad we won't be intervening? Should we spend some of the money we would have spent on military action on humanitarian aid? Before that, let's get the latest weather. Here's Elizabeth Rodini. Hello, good morning. Today's weather is going to be very similar to how it was yesterday, actually, if you remember that. It certainly was a nice day, and it will be nice Of course today. I remember it. It was yesterday. <laughs> We're going to forget <laughs> that. It was nice. <laughs> I lost my sunglasses yesterday. Did you? Did you find them? No. Well, I think I know where they left them. The people said, no, they've not left them here. Okay, I'll give you a bit of a recommendation. You need to go out and buy some more, because actually it's going to be sunny for the weekend and in, and for next week as well. So so you definitely need... You've snuck back into the, the weather and you're hoping I'm going to push off now, aren't you? What? H- hint no. taken. Go on, continue, continue. <laughs> uh, okay, anyway, enjoy buying your sunglasses. Thanks very much. <laughs> BBC Introducing supports the unsigned and upcoming musicians from Beds, Hearts and Bucks. The Introducing team here send the music up to be played on national radio stations like you may have heard of this one, Radio 1, or Radio 2, or you won't have heard of this one, Six Music. Uh, Kelly Betts uh, works on the BBC Introducing show. Good morning, Kelly Betts. Oh, you're on the... Hang on a minute. Just try there. Hello. 
No, let's try there. Good morning. Exactly. I, I think I preferred the first one. <laughs> um, just when is uh, BBC introducing on? When can people listen to it? It's actually on every Saturday night yep. from eight o'clock, oh. right here on BBC Three Counties Radio. Who have you got for us this week? This week is a singer-songwriter called Gemma Aguilar. She's from Leighton Buzzard. She heard the Hugh song. You know the Hugh. I'm, in the band who yeah. uh, won't be fooled again oh yeah and when she heard that she decided to pick up a guitar and start playing groovy is this song any good yeah it's good it's quite pop poppy happy pop object of defeat let's have a little listen now here's a story that i find incredible emma hamford from watford was asked to leave the bread shop bakery in st albans on tuesday after being told the customers wouldn't like her guide dog odine near their food well, when Emma tried to explain it was against the law to refuse her entry, they offered to stand outside with Odine while she carried on shopping. Well, we spoke to the bakery in question. The manager doesn't want to come on the air as she's heavily pregnant and highly stressed by the situation. But the company has said they're meeting with Emma next Monday to apologise to her in person. Um, joined now by... Oh, look, I'm completely on the wrong thing. That's why I'm all over the shop. That's why I'm hesitating. Let's go to that one, shall we? Yes, that makes more sense. Uh, joined now by Sue Rowan, who works for the Hearts and Beds branch of Guide Dogs for the Blind and is also a friend of Emma's. Morning, Sue. Good morning to you, Ian, and to all your listeners. D- thank you. Sue, you know uh, Emma, and you've been helping her deal with uh, complaints to the bakery. Tell us exactly what happened. Yes, Emma popped in to go and buy a sandwich for lunch, and um, the lady at the counter told her that her dog wasn't allowed in the store. And as you say, when she tried to explain that a guide dog is allowed in and that it's breaking the law by not allowing a guide dog in, uh, the lady got a bit more aggressive and said, well, um, you can't do this, and she wouldn't listen to Emma's point of view. So uh, she then offered to stand outside with the dog while Emma went um, continued shopping. And, of course, unfortunately, you know, with a guide dog, this is a mobility tool. It's not a pet. It's a highly trained animal. And um, trying to take a guide dog away from a person who is blind or partially sighted is almost like trying to take a long cane away from somebody or a wheelchair from somebody who needs it for their mobility. How did Emma feel while this was happening? We find that in most cases with um, all our blind or partially sighted guide dog owners who've had this situation, it is a very stressful and embarrassing situation. It's almost... um, like a, a slap in the face really because it is clearly showing that the people aren't aware firstly of how difficult life is when you're blind or partially sighted and secondly that they don't know anything about guide dogs in so you, 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 you're saying uh, with lots of cases how often does this happen it's quite a regular occurrence. really um, we find unfortunately that in most cases it is in communities who are not that familiar with working dogs as opposed to pet dogs and um, we are always doing with guide dogs obviously that's part of our role is to raise the awareness in the community and educate people that they are a very different type of dog than a pet dog uh, the, what, what's uh, interesting about this is normally it's it's kind of like a weekend staff or a saturday boy that uh, doesn't quite know the rules this was the manager of, of the bakery how do people not know the rules It is unfortunate. The times where we have found the person's been refused is where perhaps they are, as you say, just a part-time employee, and perhaps they haven't read their induction manual, or perhaps it hasn't been mentioned to them by the manager who is training them. And um, you, you just do find that it does happen. 
And to, and to clarify, guide dogs, can they go anywhere? Yes. They can yes. be taken to any building and any shop? Yes. Shops, restaurants, hotels, hospitals, all public transport, all public domains. It's actually illegal to not render services to a person with a guide dog. We find that in a lot of cases where people are refused access, it's also because maybe they know the guide dog, but where they are a food outlet, they're worried that they're going to lose their license allowing a dog in the shop. Mm. But in fact, in the um, Health and Hygiene Act, guide dogs are specifically mentioned as being allowed. And this has happened to you as well, has it, Sue? It has, yes. Um, I'm a guide dog owner myself. I'm totally blind. And I was refused entry into a restaurant uh, serving Taiwanese food and another one serving, um, it was a curry, curry shop, yeah. Well, so these situations resolved by talking to the manager, but unfortunately in this case the lady wasn't really aware of the differences. Well, Sue, I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much for joining us. That's Sue Rowan, who works for the Beds, uh, sorry, for the Hearts and Beds branch of Guide Dogs for the Blind. Is a friend of uh, Emma's who this happened to. Um, the manager of the bakery didn't want to come on the air this morning, but she did tell us. I want to apologise to Emma for the mistake, but not in public. I don't want to come on the radio. I'm about to have a baby, and the stress I'm feeling now is very high. But I will apologise in person to Emma next Monday. And of course, we wouldn't wish to uh, uh, increase the stress levels of a pregnant person. So putting this to one side ever so slightly. Ever been described? discriminated against ever had something uh, unjust like this happen to you oh eight four five nine four double five five double five i remember uh, when i lived in north london uh, a few years ago there was a, a coffee shop a rather famous coffee shop that uh that, that refused someone entry with a guide dog and there was a furore outrage Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. What sport are we talking about? Tennis, <clears> the <throat> US Open. I said golf earlier on. You need well, Listen, when I, uh, when I have a, a sport read, can we mention what the sport is in it? Okay. Because I don't, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was golf. US Open is a golf tournament, isn't it? Can be. What do you mean? But it that's can- finished. But th- I thought you might like read a paper. No, not it's with, fine. I don't it's re- fine. It's fine. I, I I'll, I'll write the sport just for you. No, just who doesn't watch sport. No, just not just for me, but for our, our discerning listener who also is far too intelligent. They're not daft. They're not as daft as you are. But yes, it, I will. It, look, right here. Here it is. Okay, um, look, here's the oh, flipping it. You get on my nerves now. <clears throat> right. So this was the line. British number three Dan Evans has continued his winning streak at Flushing Meadows. Yeah, tennis Aus- place. Beating Australian Bernard, who? Tomich, yeah, that, that, that was that was the sports boys. I'm blaming them yeah, to reach the third round of the US Open. So the flaws in that piece are: we don't know what the sport is, we don't know Australian Bernard. Is that his name? Is that his nickname? Yeah. Is his first name Australian? Yeah, there's what? only one Bernard in Australia. Carry on. No, don't have a go at me. It's fine. I'm having a go. At, how have you turned this into attacking me? I'm not the one raising my voice. Fair play, she owned me there. She owned me. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots coming up. A big defeat for David Cameron yesterday as MPs in the Commons vote against the principle of military action in Syria. Well, are you glad that we won't be intervening? Growing concern about the use of flares and smoke bombs at Watford's away games. I would be reluctant to take my boys to a football match if they so wished. Is football really a family-friendly game? 
and a blind woman was asked to leave a bakery in Hertfordshire after being told the customers wouldn't like her guide dog near their food. The shoppers apologised, but have you ever faced discrimination? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Send me a text, 81333, start your text 3CR, or you can give me a phone call, 08459 455555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Kira, who was caught asleep during her night shift at a residential home in Buckinghamshire, was sentenced yesterday to 18 months in prison. Emreta Ofai is an illegal immigrant who worked at Westlands in Olney, was given 13 months for neglect and five months for getting work using false documentation. Chris Ryan is the managing director of the home. Uh, whether I would describe immigrant carers as a problem, I think, is, put, is putting it a little too far. I think that there are an awful lot of carers from all over the world who come to come here and and are very good carers um it is but nonetheless there are people who think that they can work around the law in order to get work and that we cannot accept um so we want people who are prepared to work and who are caring and want to look after elderly people um where um i don't mind where they come from as long as they are keen and ready to work um and are caring it's absolutely vital and as as the judge said in this all the people who gave evidence here were very clear that whatever else the workload entailed the residents came first um and that so therefore they would stop doing any cleaning or whatever in order to look after the residents that was not the case in this lady she she took it on us to look after herself and not the other residents well, on the line now is Maggie Tolliday, the daughter of one of the residents in the home at the time. Morning, Maggie. Good morning, Ian. Uh, Maggie, uh, it's your mother that uh, was, was the resident there. Um, but tell us a little bit about Mum. How old is she and, and why was she there? Um, Mum passed away in October. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. She was in her early 90s. She was there because, um, despite her having excellent support from everyone in her own home, it got to the point where she just couldn't cope at all with anything and um, residential care was the only option. So I looked at a lot of homes, and Westlands was by far the nicest, kindest, most transparent in the way it worked home that I found, and has always been an absolutely excellent home. Well, my mum is uh, in a care home as well for various different reasons, and you are entrusting one of the people you love the most in the world literally into the care of someone else. Were you aware, were you suspicious at any point that maybe things weren't quite as, as you've been led to believe? No, because um, it's a very, very transparent home. You walk along the street, you can see in from the street. It's not one of those shut-away jobs. Um, all the rooms are left open during the day, so people can, the residents can move around easily and find their way back. But also, anyone visiting um, can walk around the home um, and see what they like. And when I took her there, when I took her there, <laughs> when she actually was, went there, um, and I was, in fact, when I was looking, I was told by the management that I could walk up, visit the home at any hour of the day on mm. um, When When did you first uh, hear about um, what had happened with uh, Hemret Ofai? Sorry? When, when did you first hear about what had happened? Oh, when, um, well, when, as soon as the home discovered what had happened, they did all the right things in terms of notification. And what, part of that was to write to every... Um, fa- family of the residents and tell them um, what they had found in general terms um, and that the information passed been passed to CQC and the police. 
Uh, it must have been distressing to, to, to be aware that this had happened. It's not very nice, is it? No. Um, especially, you know, you love your mother, you, you believe you put her in... In fact, you know that actually she's in good hands. Mm. The frightening thing is that if it can happen in a very good home who does everything properly, how is it? how much of it is going on absolutely everywhere else? In homes that just pat the people on the head and who've done it and say, go away, don't come back. And don't um, don't um, report it because they're worried about their reputation. But homes risk their reputation to make sure they do the right thing. This uh, carer, in inverted commas, sentenced to 18 months in prison. Are, are you satisfied with that punishment? Um, I'd have liked it to have been a bit longer, but as she was also working under false papers, uh, <laughs> and she's going to be deported, um, you know, it's not, you know, we, hopefully we won't see her again. Maggie, uh, I appreciate um, your time this morning. Thanks for coming on and uh, telling us about your mum. That's Maggie Tolliday, the daughter of one of the residents at the care home. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. So, Britain won't be taking military action in Syria after all. In an unexpected move, the government was narrowly defeated in the Commons last night with MPs voting against any intervention. Paul Scoynes, our political correspondent, can tell me more. Uh, a bit embarrassing for David Cameron, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, And I mean, this is uh, not good morning reading for David Cameron if he casts his eyes across the front pages of all of the newspapers. The front page of the Times reads, Cameron humiliated as MPs veto missile strikes on Syria, the independent humiliation defeat the guardian uh, devastating blow to the tory leaders authority so i suppose the answer is yes it is embarrassing especially embarrassing because you know he called the uh, mps back from par- uh, from holiday uh, to to come and uh, and sit in and debate this he wanted uh, to show that uh, the uk was going to stand up against chemical weapons um he's the first prime minister to lose a vote on major foreign policy uh, like a, a war um, in modern times. In fact, I think it goes back to 1855, so it makes him fairly weak, I suppose, in the eyes of some of his um, uh, detractors and also some of his supporters as well. I'm sure he's more than aware of that as he woke up this morning. Um, Labour leader Ed Miliband, who indeed also lost the uh, amendment um, that uh, Labour had put forward, says his authority, David Cameron's authority, has been damaged. I think military intervention is now off the agenda for Britain, uh, and I'm afraid to say that's happened because the Prime Minister tried to go for an artificial political timetable uh, for intervention. Uh, He tried to bypass the United Nations, uh, and I'm afraid he's got to learn the lesson that Britain doesn't need that kind of cavalier leadership. Well, also, I suppose it's uh, lots of people saying that Ed Miliband shouldn't be playing politics with, um, mm. with this particular case as well, as, as some have accused him of doing. Who rebelled locally? Well, we, there, there are 285 MPs who voted against the government. 30 uh, of those were uh, Conservative rebels, including Steve Baker, the MP for Wickham, and Stephen McPartland, the MP for Stevenage. There were nine Liberal Democrats as well. 31 Conservatives didn't vote at all, including David Gork in Hertfordshire South West and Maine in St Albans. And Nadine Dorries from Mid-Bedfordshire. Why, why didn't they vote? It's, it seems like such an important issue 
uh, it, it seems strange that they wouldn't vote on something like this. Well, Nadine Dorries put on her blog yesterday the reason why she wasn't voting, and she said that, that there just wasn't enough information available to MPs about the evidence to suggest that there was, uh, you know, a chemical weapon strike, especially because the United Nations are still to, uh, you know, deliver yep. their report about the... But wasn't that, weren't they voting on that the, if, if the evidence came back, in principle, would you be up for launching an attack? That's right, and that's the way that it had been written. In the first instance, the first motion was far more sort of uh, hawkish, if you like, a bit more gung-ho, but then it was rewritten to please uh, uh, Labour, um, who then voted against it, mm. uh, in putting in their own amendment in. That made Labour very unpopular, uh, and as I say, was you know the cries of playing politics was levelled at the, the Labour Party. How is this going to affect our relationship with America, who, really, they have to intervene because of this this red line that obama has has uh, drawn yes i think um uh, i mean there's been talk of it uh, uh, perhaps showing that britain has moved in a slightly different direction perhaps america can't necessarily always rely on britain to uh, back it in these sorts of military strikes uh, as it perhaps might have done in the past certainly uh, there was a lot of um, uh, controversy over iraq and that was according to the defense secretary philip hammond the uh, the reason why um, mps were so reluctant to support a motion of uh, of going in and uh, taking unilateral action without the uh, backing of the united nations um however what philip hammond does say and he said this last night on newsnight that um, he believes that military intervention could still take place without british involvement i expect that the united states and others will continue to look at responses mm. they will be disappointed that britain has decided not to be involved in any military action, but I don't expect that the absence of, of British participation will stop any action in its tracks. Paul Scorings, thank you very much uh, for that. We've got a text from Maff in Hanslope, Ian, I'm glad we're not getting involved in Syria. Not our problem. We've got our own problems. I have sympathy for the innocents, but both sides are killing, which in my view is a crime. Get rid of lead one leader, what comes next? So we're not going to have military involvement. How do you feel about that? Should we then uh, um, concentrate our efforts on humanitarian involvement? Should we be spending more money on uh, humanitarian aid and food and first aid for the people that are being affected by that? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. If you want to give us a call, you can go to facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR or send me a text 81333. The use of flares and smoke bombs at some of Watford football clubs uh, uh, away games has been criticised by a supporter who got in touch with the programme, who said he may have to rethink taking his three young children to games because of them. Well, we can speak now to Watford Supporters Trust Vice Chairman Peter Brown. Morning, Peter. Good morning. Peter, have you experienced the effects of these smoke bombs at Watford away games this season? Yes, I have, and I find it quite offensive. Where were you, and what happened? I was at Birmingham, and we were just watching the game, we were enjoying the game, and all of a sudden this odorous, foul smell appeared all around, and you look around, and there's this cloud of smoke coming towards you. And I find it gives no benefits whatsoever to the club in any way, mean or form, and I find it quite offensive. How does it work? Do they chuck them onto the pitch? Do they let them off in the crowd? In the crowd. 
that's the unfortunate thing about it. It's horrendous. And so it's a thick smoke. Is, is it impossible to see through? Oh, no, you can see through it, but um, by the time it reaches us from the area where it comes from and the, the uh, culprits that uh, set them off, um, but it's just, I don't see what, what benefit it is to the club. In fact, I see it as a death what's happening with this young uh, young family not wanting to be with them. I, I, I'm struggling to, to see where the fun is in this, what, what the point of it is. Well, you and me both. I mean, we all know that smoke bombs, flares, and, uh, and uh, football matches, whether it's inside or out the ground, can lead to arrest, prison, and a football banning order. Is um, this in, in any way, indirectly, not of course uh, accusing them of this, but indirectly linked with the owners of Watford? They are Italian, lots of Italian players, and, and flares and smoke bombs, I believe, are popular in Italian footy. I would say definitely 100% guaranteed no way. Watford is a family-friendly club and uh, would never be involved or the Pozos would never be involved in anything. Oh, no, I'm not, I'm not su- suggesting that it, it's, it's come from the owners at all, but maybe some of the, uh, uh, in inverted commas, fans yeah. have picked up on this, this culture. Well, I, you never know what fans come up to, the people that come up with these uh, bizarre things that think it uh, improves the atmosphere and everything like that, when actually all it does is offend and upset people. Uh, the minority of a few are ruining it for the majority of many thousands. Uh, it, it can lead to a, a banning uh, from football games, as, as, as we know. Why, why are people prepared to risk this? Well, because I don't think they realise the, the consequences of it, to be quite honest. It's as simple as that. Uh, they just think it's fun, and it adds to the atmosphere. Uh, when you look at um, some of the fans' forums, they, oh, we think it's really good, and it adds to the fans' atmosphere. Well, I, I don't see... Well, you're, 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 I was going to mention that. We have seen a couple of comments on fans for, yeah. fan forums from people saying, well, I, I, I don't want to be the only one to mention this, but th- this is the most exciting thing. It's creating an atmosphere. Let, let's have more of this. Well, uh, let them get on with it. Um, go and blow their smoke bombs in their own garden and play with them themselves. Don't try to offend the majority of people that are being upset because we are the family club and these mm. young people we don't want to lose these young people they are the future of the club oh because of a few people that seem to think that they're, they're bigger than the club and the bigger than the fans no uh, go away go somewhere else and uh, all it means is that when we go to football matches like when we're up to uh, blackpool tomorrow um we'll be searched a lot more heavily and um, a lot more inconvenienced for the sake of a few moronic idiots Earlier on, I spoke to Mike Parkin, who presents the Watford podcast. He, seem, he says there seems to be a new breed of Watford supporter that thinks this is OK. Can you realistically do anything about it? Well, the only realistic thing we can do is if we're in the ground tomorrow and you see the smoke bomb come off, is to relate to where your seat is, report it to a steward. Uh, the seats are sold by ticket numbers. The steward can then inform the club that he came from this area and the club could investigate. Because I'm sure, positively, 100%, that the club are totally against this i'm not interested anyway because it's anti-football it's anti-law you say the club against this they've not said anything have they they've not um, issued a statement or, or anything like that no they haven't i've spoken with uh, with a member of the club staff yesterday and was hoping to speak to the uh, manning to charge of the ground but unfortunately couldn't get hold of him um but the, the club are very concerned but what can they do you get one person hiding in a crowd of two and a half thousand like was at birmingham how are you going to find him? It's needle in haystacks. They could they could issue a, a, a statement or put something on the website to to, to clarify their well, position. I'm, I'm sure that they're in the process of doing that because you know the club are very very orientated towards their fans and look after it in, in, in every way possible. And um, I'm sure something will come like that uh, with a warning. You know, um, not for it, they want it to cease because we all want it to cease. Is football not specifically Watford, but is football a family friendly event anymore? 
not as well as it is. You've got other sports that are far better at uh, looking after the family than, than football. But Watford probably up there in the higher echelons of being the closest to these other sports. And what are Watford doing that, that, that's different from other football clubs in terms of making it family friendly? Well, they're reducing, they're keeping prices. They've got the huge family enclosure area where they're encouraging youngsters to come along. Um, they just want families there and everything because they know when you get families, you don't get problems. If you get uh, uh, a regular age group go there, that they've got young people around, people tend to respect the youngsters and the language and everything is so much better at the club. Uh, uh, Peter, thank you very much for joining us this morning. That's uh, Peter Brown, who is the uh, Watford Supporters Trust Vice Chairman. Well, what do you think about it, football? Is it still a a family-friendly event? Would you take your kids to a football match? 08459 455 555. I'm not a football fan in the slightest, as you probably know. But at some point, I'm sure my boys will say, Oh, yeah, Dad, come on, take us to a football match. Come on, let's go to the football. Uh, okay, if that's what you think. Uh, I would think twice about go- going to a football match, though, if, if things like this were going on. Do give me a call. 08459 455 555. Is football still uh, a family-friendly uh, event? And do things like this make you reconsider whether you're going to take your kids to a football match? And it is, I mean, Peter there saying that Watford is against this. They've not come out and said anything yet. We tried to get a spokesman, we couldn't. 08459 455 555. Britain won't be taking military action in Syria, after all. We can get more now on the uh, embarrassing defeat for David Cameron on Syria last night. Joined now by former political editor of the Press Association, Chris Moncrief. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Chris, uh, this is pretty unprecedented in modern times. The last time this happened uh, was uh, over a war in the mid-1800s. What must David Cameron be feeling now? Well, I should imagine he'll be, you know, very, un- very unhappy indeed. I mean, he'll now begin to wish that um, he didn't recall Parliament, because if you recall, uh, Parliament was recalled on the grounds that there'd be a motion whether to attack Syria or not. Um, uh, there was so much anti-feeling about that that Cameron had to do yet another U-turn and uh, put forward a motion... Um, which, as you say, was narrowly defeated. Um, this will um, grieve him intensely because it would also upset, he believes, his relationship with Barack Obama. Uh, d- so d- d- just to clarify, does this mean that in the future we, we, are, we cannot take any military action against Syria? No, no it doesn't. Um, even, even if <laughs> the... Um, there'd been the original motion, well, it was never actually tabled, um, you know, to, to either to attack or not to attack. So even if that had been passed and, and Parliament had approved it, um, that was not, that is not actually binding on the Prime Minister. Um, it's, this is, um, it, it is not a usual thing for Parliament to be recalled um, to, to decide this sort of issue. And, be, and as we well know, um, Tony Blair and others have gone to war without any, um, uh, you know, signal green light from Westminster. So although it, it would have been a terrible thing to do, um, Cameron could have gone ahead even if uh, MPs had voted <laughs> against it. And he could, uh, well, he, could, he could overrule this, couldn't he? Is it the Royal Charter that allows him to overrule this and, and still uh, do military action? Is he likely to do something like that? Yes, he can overrule it. Um, I, I, whether he's likely to do it, I don't know. It's, it's a very serious step to take. Um, and as I say, I think he will probably now regret having 
we call Parliament and just gone through the normal procedure of, of you know, the Cabinet or uh, the War Cabinet, for instance, making a decision and taking it irrespective of Parliament, which is what normally has happened. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a proper way to go about it. But that is often what has happened. Has the UK changed? In, in the past, we've always been very quick to uh, jump to America's side. Uh, uh, is the UK changing? Well, I don't think so. I mean, if you remember, Harold Wilson, um, uh, you know, told the Americans that he wasn't going to get involved in um, Vietnam. And, um, you know, and he got away with that, so to speak. Um, there's, a, there's no appetite at all for war. At, well, I think in the country at large, certainly at Westminster, after Tony Blair, after Iraq, after Afghanistan. I mean, we were told about Afghanistan, the British troops were only going in to build bridges and deal with the infrastructure, and they wouldn't be firing a shot in anger. Well, look what happened. So I think people are highly suspicious about moving into Syria and, um, and fear for the aftermath, because there seems to be no plan. Th- 31 rebels from the Conservatives, that's got to hurt, hasn't it? Yeah, of course it is. Yes, I'm surprised it wasn't more, actually, but it's still a serious matter. Chris, thank you very much. I appreciate your time this morning. Chris Moncrief, former political editor of the Press Association. What do you think? Are you pleased that we're not getting involved? Of course, David Cameron could, could completely ignore everyone and still go ahead. It's unlikely. I think he's pretty much come out and said uh, that he won't. He will respect the decision, but he's disappointed. Have you lost faith in David Cameron? Is this, uh, th- th- this bloody nose that he's uh, received... Has it changed your opinion? Is he in trouble a little bit? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Yes, Kelly, you can clear that screen. Thank you for asking so politely. Uh, you can go to facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr or you can send me a text. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Later on in the show, have a think about this. You can start texting these in now. We'll be asking if you could be any film character in the world, who? I don't know why we're asking this. D-League just burst into the... All right, Lisa. All right, big man. I've got a great one for you. If you could be any film character in the world, who would it be? Willy Wonka. Right! He would be Willy Wonka, by the way. The original Willy Wonka. Why? Well, because he owns a factory that's basically magical and he can do whatever he wants. That's why... I watched Willy Wonka about 12 times on holiday. It's quite a dark film. Who remembers the scene when you see a chicken getting its head chopped off? You, uh, ex- I know exactly. It took me a few watches to realise there is a scene where a live chicken has his head chopped off. It's the bit where they're in the tunnel on the boat and all these flashing images are flashing up. And there's a bit where you see a chicken, the live chicken, boom, getting its head chopped off. Very strange. Producer Tara will be Tallulah from Bugsy Malone. Really? Oh, that's you, Kelly Betts, is it? And that's your latest news oh. and sport, and I mean cricket, football and tennis. I'll be back with more at eight o'clock. Right, you're an idiot. Um, he, is, is that Andy Murray doing an English accent? No, what, what that's is wrong, Dan Evans. What is wrong with our tennis players? Why do they all sound so miserable? He was probably a bit tired. And I'll tell you something, mm. right? Yes. I had to be really brave. No, you didn't. You had to stand there and hit a ball back. You didn't have to be really brave. Really brave is going into Afghanistan and taking on 20 Taliban with just a stick. Really brave is climbing up a 30-foot ladder and getting a baby out of a burning building. Really brave is not standing there and hitting a ball. But I had to be really brave. Well, I'm a, it does I'm a, hurt a bit. I'm a brave boy. I'm not making a fuss about it. I'm being, I'm brave soldier. I hit a ball back to the man and it was fast and I was brave. Are you done? Yes. Call 08459-555. Idiot. BBC Three Counties Radio.
had to dig deep and be really brave. No, you didn't. You had to stand there getting paid a fortune in America, which is a great country to be in, and hit a ball. There's nothing bra- My three-and-a-half-year-old plays tennis. He's not brave. He's a baby. He cried because he stood on a wasp the other day. Man up, boy. He hits the ball back. It's not brave. Oh, I had, to, oh, I had to dig really deep and be really brave. What is it with tennis players? Grow some. Huh? You, they, they've got enough balls on the court. Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Is it? T- no, we're not allowing any guide dogs in. Get the guide dog out. We're not having go. We're not allowed guide dogs on the premises. Just seen a guide dog. We'll talk about that a bit later on. Uh, is football really family friendly? Uh, Tim uh, in uh, Bromham. Tim, what do you think? Is football a family-friendly game? I think if you go to the right places, yeah, of course it is. Absolutely. Well, we always thought that Watford was was the right place. They're always banging on about how they're so family-friendly, and now we're getting smoke canisters being let off. Yeah, that's a bit unfortunate, to be honest, isn't it? I mean, I'd take my son to the MK Dons. I'm not an MK Dons supporter myself, but he's 10. I've been taking him for three seasons. And I've never seen any hint of trouble or anything that would stop me from taking him there. Is there any bad language or anything? Because that's another thing that would put me off. Loads of loads of blokes effing and jeffing. Um, not really, to be honest. It depends on what part of the ground you sit in. If you go to the family-friendly bits, right. generally speaking, they're pretty good. Yeah, that makes a difference, does it? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, yeah. But to be honest, most of the places in the MK Don Stadium... I'd have no problem at all taking him and, and sitting anywhere, anywhere at all. Are you surprised by this behaviour from Watford fans? Um, so I don't know about surprised, disappointed, definitely, because it's, it's not, I don't think it's something that anybody really wants to see. But, Tim, go- Tim, going off on an incredibly uh, diverse uh, tangent, a bit of a quantum leap, if you could be any character in any film, who would you be? Oh, Superman. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. Well, well I, 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 do I need to even ask why? <laughs> oh, you don't need to ask. Come on, it's Superman. Yeah, you're right. It, Superman, I always found a little bit. But Batman, Batman's very dark. Batman's dirty. Superman, he's a bit goody goody though, isn't he? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's you, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's an alter ego. There we it. go, Tim. Thank you very much indeed. Well, the reason we're asking this is not because we're short on material and we need to try and fill some gaps. No, no, not at all. It's because Justin Dealey got very excited. All right, Leicester. All right, big man. I got, I got gold for you. Right? If you could be a character in any film, who would it be? Well, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why are you asking? Well, because I, I, I got. It's going to be great for the radio. I remain to be convinced. But Justin Dealey joins me now. A man who thinks his own echo sounds sexy. Justin. All right, Ian. Yes. You well? I'm, I'm very, very well. <laughs> why, why have you... Why did this spring into your strange, I, dark mind? I'll tell you why. Yesterday, we were talking about Michael Douglas, weren't we? And some of the things uh, w- which he gets up to. And uh, we, we were talking about his uh, relationship <laughs> with Catherine Zeta-Jones. Very delicately put. Yes, exactly. That's what she Sa- said, yes. Sadly, that's come to an end. And I was saying, John, Michael Douglas, what an absolute legend. When I think about some of his film characters, Nick Curran in Basic Instinct, we had uh, Gordon Gecko in Wall Street. Yes. I want to be that man. I want want to be Michael Douglas. I want to be his film character. Well, no, well, no hang on a second. Hang on. We're, we're, specific, we're not talking about the actors. We're mm. specifically talking about the film characters. You can only pick one. Yep. Which one you are going to pick? I'm going to go for Nick Curran because, as a detective, he was fantastic and he had the best leather jacket I've ever seen in the whole of my life in Basic Instinct. This, no, I've not seen Basic Instinct. Is it... I, I'm aware of the famous yes. legs-crossing scene. <laughs> is, it, is it just because you want to be there? Uh, quite possibly. I'd be Willy Wonka. 
Would you? Why? Yeah, because, oh, it's magical. Ma- it's, no, it's magical. The interaction with the children, he's got a wonderful... He's got a chocolate river! Well, that's true. That he's is got a chocolate true. river and a big fat German kid falls into it! You see, already two completely different fantasies. Yep. Straight away. Yep. You've been out, you've actually been uh, using the BBC dollar to go out and speak to people about this. Yes, uh, first for news, I've been asking people uh, if they could be any film character from any film, who would they be and why? Some fascinating answers. Let's take a listen to this. From any film. Mm, you could be any film character you want to. Batman, Superman, right, James right, right, Bond, right. who would it be? Probably Tom Cruise in uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah? Do something daring, yeah, yeah. Probably Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo? Yeah, because he gets to run around on adventures and eat treats all day. Well, that's a cracking <laughs> answer. Anybody else? Uh, probably a villain, a really evil villain. Light and shade, Scooby-Doo and a villain? Yeah. So, what's your favourite film of all time? I don't know. Putting you right on the spot there. Yeah, you are. Ah, Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood? Yeah. Okay, bit of a bad boy, are you? Yeah. Well, no, but I like the film. Okay. <laughs> if you could be any film character, in any film, who would it be? What's his name in that film? What Women Think. You know, you think what goes through women's minds and be one of them to know what women actually think and see what goes through their minds for a day. Would you really want to know, though? Yeah, I would. <laughs> oh, it'd be John Wayne. Oh, uh, what film? The Rio Grande. Just a uh, great character. Took over the film. Uh, larger than life personality. Yeah, Jason Bourne, yeah. So you wouldn't fancy being Shirley Valentine or something like that? No. no. Jason Bourne, so you could yeah. be a bit out there, a bit weird, a bit wacky, a bit sci-fi. Yes, definitely, yeah. Very exciting life. What's your name, young man? Thomas. Thomas, how old are you? Nine. Who would you like to be? James Bond. Tell me why. Because he's in a lot of action films and I like guns and war and stuff like that. So. That's a bit of a concerning answer for a nine-year-old child. <laughs> so we're talking movies today. What's your favourite film, first of all? Midnight Express. Oh, what a fantastic film. Brutal but brilliant. I want to know, if you could be any film character from any film, who would it be? Shrek. Yeah, why not? Why would you like to be green? Why not? Moving on from a nine-year-old saying they love guns <laughs> and war because I don't, there, there are issues there. Yep. Interesting um, that someone mentioned the science fiction film um, Jason Bourne. Yes. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what bit of the, that film was science fiction. Well, do you know what? I've never seen the film. Uh, th- not, not my <laughs> cup of tea at all. Well, you can't just throw a genre at it. Well, I thought it was sci-fi. No, it's like action, isn't it? Well, that's it's sci-fi like, slash action. Well, there's no sci-fi in it. Is it not? No, it's like, it's, it basically... Why is it not sci-fi? I would file it under American Bond. It's not sci-fi because there's no science in it. Really? There's no science fiction, no. That's what no. sci-fi stands for. I thought it was sci-fi. Well, no, it's not. It's action. Really? <laughs> yes. Put it out there. I think it is sci-fi. Put, put, put what out there? Is, is the, are the Bourne films sci-fi? People yeah. will phone up and go, no. Yeah, but thanks. I thought they were sci-fi. I, well, whenever people have spoken about them in the past, they've always said they're, they're sci-fi films. Who has said that? Well, I've, I've read about it. What? So, okay, so we're already, you've gone from people saying it to you reading it. <laughs> you on. don't read, Justin, we know I that. I do read. What have you, where have you read that Jason Bourne is sci-fi? I can't give you an exact title. Because you are making it, it up. It because wasn't I'm in the British hit singles book, admittedly, but I have read it somewhere. <laughs> All right, we'll put it out there. Wait there. 08459 455 555. Is there anybody listening to this who agrees with Justin Dealey that the Bourne films are science fiction? Phone lines are going mad. No, just give, give, just give, them, a, okay. just give them 20 seconds. Okay. I thought they were. But forgive me. Well, you've, you've, apparently you've read it somewhere. Yeah. 
So it must be true. Oh, there's a phone. The phone oh, is the ringing. Hitler. Put them straight through, Kelly Betts. Just put them straight through. Tell me what line they're on and uh, we'll have them. Even if they're not calling about this. <laughs> and this, this isn't just because we're short on material today. No. Cathy's on the line. Morning, Cathy. Oh, good morning. Cathy, whereabouts are you calling from? Uh, from Luton. Oh, lovely. Just down the road from us, Cathy. Can you... Who's correct? Myself or the idiot Dealey? Well, I wouldn't call him an idiot, but he's certainly not correct. The Bourne films are not sci-fi in the slightest, sci-fi. are they? No, they're not. Okay. What, what, how would you, what would you label them as? Um, yeah, I'd agree that they're more, a bit more of a realistic Bond-type movie. Yeah. On the edge of sci-fi? No way. Oh. No okay. science in them at all. Ka- Kathy, thank you very much indeed. Leslie's uh, on the line. Morning, Leslie. Good morning, Ian. Leslie, who's, who's right? Me or that idiot Dealey? I think Justin's getting confused with the Matrix films. Because uh, they they are that's, science that's and fiction. The they're definitely science fiction. Yep. And, uh, but I'm afraid Jason Bourne is, as you said, Bond. He's a secret agent. Yep. D- d- he's very much a earth struck. With earth an edge of sci-fi. No. Mm. Justin, would you like to apologise to Leslie? You've no. you've literally wasted her time. Leslie, I'm very sorry. Please. Oh, Sorry, Justin, Leslie. You're welcome after your excellent shows last week. All right, for, bye, Leslie. Bye, bye. Uh, <laughs> uh, joined now by the BBC Three Counties political reporter, Paul Scoynes. Paul, mm. uh, the Bourne films, are they science fiction in not, any way? No, not in the clo- no, not even the slightest. They, they are definitely in the action genre. Um, you could you know, put it down as sort of pretty hard-edged action, um, but not even close to sci-fi, no. And I, I've actually got a film studies degree, so I speak with some authority. So on this man is a, a doctor of films. Um, I'm a master of science. I mean, why I got that, I don't know. Paul, you're a political reporter. Stick to doing that. At least, at least he's, he's a something reporter. You're just a reporter. Mm. Yeah. So that means that he's, you know, he's good at one thing, at least. You're, you're not particularly good at no, any no, of you're them. you're right, you're right. I'm good at lots of things, you're right. No, you're right. You're, you're, jack of none, master of even less. No, I think it would be jack of all trades. Would you like to apologise to Paul Scoynes? Sorry, Paul. That's fine. And also, I think you probably owe Paul Scoynes an apology for that picture that he caught a glimpse of the other day. <laughs> See ya, bye. Paul Scorn, thanks very much for joining. I really appreciate it. One of my favourite films. The the, the Bourne films? Yeah. Never seen one. Really? Yeah. We should watch one. Oh, I'm busy there. Thanks very much. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number. I did. I, I don't like to humiliate members of staff on the show, but sometimes Dealey needs to be put back in his box. Now, here's a story that. Well, I, I find it incredible, but I have heard about it, it several times in the past. Emma Hamford from Watford was asked to leave the bread shop bakery in St Albans on Tuesday after being told the customers wouldn't like her guide dog Odine near their food. Well, when Emma tried to explain it was against the law to refuse her entry, they offered to stand outside with the dog while she carried on shopping. Here's what some people in St Albans had to say on the matter. Really, what this manager should have done, I think, is to have apologised. You know, surely most people would have said, I'm really sorry, I didn't realise, and please carry on, instead of saying, take the dog out. I think it's terrible. I think the lady should have been treated better. Um, Certainly she should be allowed to take her dog in there. Um, you know, if you need the dog, you need the dog. And likewise, if you, um, you know, like you say, they t- take a lot of training and a lot of money spent on these dogs for people that need them. So she should have been allowed to take it in. I wouldn't have thought it was a massive problem. I should think it's a, probably somebody that's a new manager of a shop and doesn't really know that, what's happened. They probably won't make the mistake again after you've reported it. It's a shame, actually, and I think more people should be aware of the situation. Um, you know, it's, diff- it's difficult enough with a buggy, to be honest going into places that are quite small and um, I think it's not the fault of the person with the dog, it's the fault of the person who's, um, who's the man with the shop. I mean, surely they should be aware, actually, 
of um of what the rules are and the laws are to do with guide dogs well we've spoken to the bakery in question the manager doesn't want to come on air she's heavily pregnant and highly stressed by the situation of course we wouldn't want to uh, increase any stress there but the company has said they're meeting with emma next monday to apologize to her in person i'm joined now by lenny jordan from luton with his guide dog bo morning lenny morning lenny you can't bring your guide dog in here take it out he's very he's very uh, docile He's, he's sitting down by your side nice and peaceful yeah, it's very quiet. This is normal behaviour. Now, you're registered uh, blind. Have you been asked to leave uh, a premises because of your dog? Yeah, several times, actually. Really? Yeah. What yeah. Co- without mentioning any company names, what kind of places? Uh, restaurants. Restaurants, mainly. Um, a bake- bakery. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, once in a superstore. You know, but I was actually upstairs at the superstore right. with uh, my kids, and uh, the manager approached me and um, asked me to leave with with uh, really with my dog with me, yeah. and how does it happen are they are they um polite are they embarrassed are they kind of right come on out you get mate well um a couple of times they kind of uh just approach you and say oh you can't bring a dog in here and then when you explain that it's a guide dog yeah they're still kind of no you can't bring him in here um uh, one one guy told me that um because of hygiene problems so I, I said to him, it's okay, because the dog's not going to go and cook anyway. So <laughs> and you right. say that this incident, one of these incidents happened uh, in front of your kids. H- how does that make you feel? It, it was difficult, because um, your initial response, you kind of want to kind of um, kind let them, you know, sort of tell them one, two things, well, but uh, you've got to sort of... And, I, I, the to, for those, for, for the <laughs> listeners at home, you're a big lad, and I'm sure you could tell them one or two things if, <laughs> if you decided. But obviously you've got to buy, But is it embarrassing? Is it humiliating? Do you get angry? It's, it's, both, it's, it's both humiliating and embarrassing, because the, the thing is, then you, you kind of feel that there's general public all sort of looking at you, and you're kind of made to stand out, you know. Mm. Um, and you just want to get on with your day like everyone else, you know. And, uh, and I think it was, at the time, for my, my son, it was kind of... Um, I don't think he's embarrassed, either, but uh, again, it's a bit humiliating, you know. But it it's actually does sort of um, urge on the same level as um, discrimination and mm. racism, because people must know these days a guide dog. I can't. Let, so, just to clarify, just to make sure I've got this right, you can go anywhere with that guide dog. You can go That's into right. a restaurant. You can go. You can go in a hospital with Bo. That's right. You yeah. can go. You can go anywhere. Yeah. Now, I knew that. I thought that was the case. Mm. And I'm surprised that some stores, including managers, you're saying, Mm -hmm. don't realise that's the law. I'm surprised as well, because they should do. And I know that um, one of the things with uh, guide dogs, they do provide um, uh, lots of literature and information about what guide dogs are allowed and not allowed to do. They do provide information about um, the law where guide dogs are concerned. So it's very easy to to get hold of. And if you're not sure very easy to get the information mm. now you talk about the staff have asked you to to leave places have, have any uh, uh, customers ever said anything oh you will you be bringing a dog in here for me no 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 the public are pretty good with yeah. um with guide dogs you know i've never had any issues being asked to leave somewhere by by general public or public feeling uncomfortable mm. you know? i think we're all pretty much in i saw a guide dog yesterday i hadn't seen one for ages and i think we're all pretty much in awe of uh how skillful the guide dog's up i still don't understand how they do it it's it's um i mean they go through a very rigorous training program from and from very little from uh, puppies getting mm. so used to um being around in the environment in busy places and so on but um it's a teamwork really what i describe it, it's like uh pilot and co-pilot you know uh, sort of pilot and navigator because you have to work together so it's not just like 
off you go and he takes me without names going so we kind of it's a teamwork thing you know how long have you had Bo? four years i've had him now and how in, how important it, it, it is uh, having a guide dog is having Bo to your life oh very for me because um god is my second guide dog but before i had one i was totally reliant on other people taking me around and um getting about but it's uh great sense of freedom when when you have your dog and you just get out and about on your own you know mm. um i think i've done a lot more walking uh since i've had my guide dog and um i travel everywhere yeah, with him yeah. and can you how does it work can you say to him all right bo i want to go to the post office and he can take you to the po- does he know routes like that yeah 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 well, really yeah because one of the things Brilliant. that um um as guide dog owners do uh, i know myself if, if I'm going somewhere, I would actually literally go the same route. I'd more or less walk in the same footsteps all mm. the time. So if I set off in any direction, he has a good idea where we're going because it's something we do regular. So um, <clears throat> once I get in, say, into Dunstable, I'll say to him, you know, find the bank when, once we're on the street and he'll go and sit right outside the bank door, you know. So I don't get uh, that. I, th- it's, I think it's uh, incredible. Uh, the discrimination against uh, blind people, uh, uh, in particular, because of this story, yeah. uh, it, it would seem that people don't know the rules and that, that this, we've heard that this is actually not too common, but it does happen fairly regularly. What, what needs to be done to change this? Um, I think it's more, more understanding, really. Um, <clears throat> I was going to say education, but I don't think education is so much a thing. I think one of the things that's... Uh, I've been involved in myself is actually going to schools and talking to the young people about um, guide dogs, about being blind or visually impaired, and you know, so how I've got by. <clears throat> and I think if we, if there was more opportunities to, for 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 that to happen, mm. then people have a lot more understanding. Uh, Lenny, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you very much, Bo. Nice, nice to meet you too. There we go. Lenny Jordan uh, from Luton with his guide dog Bo. Thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. We're talking about football. Is football still family friendly? Watford away games, a few smoke bombs have been let off. John's in Watford. Morning, John. Oh, good morning there. John, what do you think about these smoke bombs at football games? Okay, first I'd just like to say that um, Watford um, are always going to be a um, family club. Um, these smoke bombs, um, whilst I don't agree with them due to, um, to having asthma, actually, but they don't really cause too much trouble as in sort of any sort of violence or anything like that. So they're not causing violence, but hang on a second, you've got, you've, so are you saying you want them or you don't want them? Um, basically, I don't really want them, um, mainly due to the fact that um, there are a lot of asthma sufferers um, that I do know that go to football. And these things, when they are let off, they do um, sort of travel smoke quite a lot around the grounds. And it, would it affect? It would affect asthma, I'm assuming. Um, definitely, yeah. Kind of, um, so I'm sure it's just like general smoke, basically. Um, that when they sort there of are some sort of fans, John, on various forums. I've seen the post saying, "Hey, this is great. We've got a bit of atmosphere back with these smoke bombs." Uh, that's the thing. It's quite a lot of things on the social networking um, that a lot of fans who do raise the question about having asthma are slated at the moment for being killjoys and um it's basically kind of um a lot of people are saying that they do create the atmosphere that we do see in european football games so should watford football club come out and, and uh, against these um john they've not said anything yet no i personally think they should do because not only does it trigger off health problems but is that actually also illegal yeah 
um, which a lot of fans seem to sort of turn a blind eye to. Mm. Um, they're very much, oh, we'll sneak them in, nobody can see us actually taking them, we'll let them off and nobody knows where they're coming from. John, thank you very much indeed. It's John in Watford. Uh, yeah, they're not uh, responsible for violence, but it it, uh, it, it would affect the asthmatics. We, I've, we had a couple of texts, actually, from people saying that they're asthmatics, and they've been told to man up a bit. Man up, guys, come on. 08459 455 555. Is football a family-friendly game? It's interesting, the guy that called in about MK Dons, and I asked him about bad language, he said, well, if you go to the family stand, you won't get much. What, what, why should there be... A separate area for families? Shouldn't kids be allowed to go anywhere? When I went to the Luton game, Luton Millwall last uh, last year, or earlier this year, a lot of bad language, a lot of casual racism as well. A lot of jokes about the Taliban. I, really? And suddenly it's the last hour of the show. Wowzers. Got some live music coming up, if we can fit them into this tiny studio. Not allowed to use the big posh studio. Got told off. Oh dear! Get the latest news and sport online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. Morning, Catherine. Hey, morning. It's uh, nearly the freaking weekend, baby. I'm about to have me some fun. What are you up to this weekend? Um, this weekend, oh, it's my dad's birthday today. Oh! So I'm going to be helping him with his midlife crisis. Ah. He's uh, bought a guitar. Oh! So I bought him a tuna, which ah. I think will help everybody. Oh! <laughs> Apart from that, I'm free as a bird. Bye then. Oh. insight into Catherine Boyle's life. It's good. I think it's good to know what she's up to. Got to keep an eye on her. Got to keep an eye on her. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's nearly four minutes past eight. It's Friday the 30th of August. Next time we speak, it'll be September. Not next time, I mean after today's show. It'll be September. Lots coming up in the last uh, hour of the show. A big defeat for David Cameron yesterday as MPs in the Commons vote against the principle of military action in Syria. Are you glad that we won't be intervening? A blind woman was asked to leave a bakery in Hertfordshire after being told the customers wouldn't like her guide dog near their food. The shops apologise, but have you ever faced discrimination? And do you waste money on gadgets that you'll never use? New research has found the typical family has spent 650 quid on underused or never used gadgets. Chocolate fountains are at the top of the list. Why would you buy a chocolate fountain? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Or you can give me a call 08459 455 555. Across beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. A carer who was caught asleep during her night shift at a residential home in Buckinghamshire was sentenced yesterday to a total of 18 months in prison. Emretta Ofai, an illegal immigrant who worked at Westlands in Olney, was given 13 months for neglect and five months for getting work using false documentation. Well, managing director of the home, Chris Ryan, gave his reaction to our reporter, Tony Fisher. I'm satisfied with it. I think it's it sends out a, a strong message that this kind of behaviour with the v- most vulnerable people in society is totally unacceptable. It, was a, it, it wasn't a difficult decision to put our, um, for us to say that 
um, that this had happened in our home because our approach has always been to be upfront and honest with people and say what's happened in our home because we know it's not the norm. And she was a bad egg, as it were. This was her modus operandi, he said. The, exactly. This is this was her acting in isolation, doing this, and it, and it was only because a member of staff put, um, whistle blew and told us about it that we, we um, acted immediately um, the same night that we were told um, the managers went in and found and found these two sleeping um, and then picked up all the rest of it as they were going through their duties having suspended them we can't be sure that this isn't ever going to happen again i think it's sad to say that um, somebody somewhere could be abusing a resident in a in a care home or in their own home it's possible it, we know that unfortunately there are too many cases of it it's it's cases like this that hopefully make send the message out that it is not acceptable and if you are caught then the courts will come down very strongly on you well with us now is david congdon from uh, action on elder abuse uh david this, this case is pretty shocking isn't it it certainly is but what was what i was pleased to see was that the home responded positively to the whistleblower and actually then got the police involved and legal action was taken because too often when these dreadful occurrences come to light the the residents are often not believed they're not trusted they're not regarded as being credible oh it's because they're old and they might be a little bit ditzy so what do they know well that's right and that gives if you're not careful a bit of a green light to abusers or people who are prepared to neglect older and vulnerable people to get on and get away with it but it is encouraging to see whistleblowers prepared to come forward and i wish more would come forward so that bad apples in the caring profession can be weeded out and yes you're right you're right to flag up that as soon as the the home knew about this they they stepped in and they intervened they, they've done everything they mm. could uh, this woman i mean she mm. she did what she could to make her life easier she disconnected the resident's alarms mm. uh, in one case a resident had her incontinence pad on for so long the feces had dried and it was stuck to her this is this is humiliation we wouldn't treat animals like this well, we, we wouldn't, and I think, sadly, there have been too many cases recently, not just in care homes, but in hospitals. You recall the dreadful experiences of old, older people in Midstaff's hospital, where staff who are supposed to be caring for vulnerable adults don't care for them. And the message really is, you have to try to ensure that all staff who look after vulnerable older people do actually value the lives of those older people and respect them and value them for the lives that they've had rather than just treating them, as you say, worse than animals, because this must not be allowed to go on. But I'm pleased that the court took a tough line and imposed a prison sentence. I think that does send an important message which needs to be spread widely around so all staff understand their responsibilities. With the case of this woman, yes, the, the court did uh, send a tough message. Her colleague was found not guilty at an earlier trial, despite the fact the jury heard exactly the same evidence. Would you, would you like to see that woman retried? I don't know. I've not seen that evidence. I mean, one would need to understand why that actually came about, but it is obviously worrying when you get a situation where the prosecutors feel that they've got a good case, but it doesn't go forward. As I say, sometimes the experience is that there isn't enough evidence, or, sadly, you know, if you've got a very confused older person, um, they might not be regarded as reliable mm. witnesses, which is absolutely scandalous. They should be trusted, because all the evidence shows is if... Everyone is on the lookout for abuse or neglect, whether that's staff, relatives when people are visiting them in hospital, or people living in their own homes are on the lookout for it. You stand more chance of spotting it and preventing it escalating to the dreadful circumstances that occurred in, occurred in this case. Have you come across many cases like this? 
Quite a few. I mean, there's been a lot. There's been a lot recently come to light in hospitals, as, as, as evidenced by the France's report in in terms of mid staffs, which, frankly, much of it beggared belief. Similarities. Um, people left to urinate or, or defecate in their beds because staff can't be bothered to um, change them or take them to the toilet. Buzzers not answered is a classic problem that occurs far too often. If you think you're, you're in pain or want to go to the toilet in the middle of the night and you press the buzzer and no one comes and then you mess your bed, that is going to be very, very distressing for the old person concerned. And that's why, as I say, I think all staff need to be on the lookout for it. And then when cases go to court, it really is important that if found guilty, the perpetrators get a, get a, get a strong sentence because that sends out a message to everyone. And 18 months, is that strong enough, do you think? It's difficult to judge because I've not seen all the evidence. It's, it's better than it might have been. It could have been a non-custodial sentence. The maximum sentence, I understand, is up to five years. Um, and maybe that would be there where you get the most severe cases of abuse. I think generally um, the courts don't impose strong enough sentences in cases like this, and that's why you know, we do want to see the courts use whatever powers they have available to them so they do send out that very, very powerful message. Uh, we had, not so very long ago, the abuse of um, vulnerable people with a learning disability at Winterbourne View down in Bristol. Prison sentences were, were handed out, but maybe they should have been longer as well. So I think the courts do need to address these issues. David Congdon from uh, Action on Elder Abuse, thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Justin Dilly got very, very excited. Yes, All right, Lee, start right, big man. I've got a great one for you. If you could be any film character in any film, who would it be? Well, it's obvious, Willy Wonka. Mainly because I've watched it 15 times in the last two weeks. I've watched Toy Story 32 times. I don't want to be any of those characters. But uh, Willy Wonka. Well, joined now by Richard Fitzwilliams, who is a film critic. Uh, Richard, good morning. Uh, good morning. This is a fascinating debate. Uh, I've been puzzling over it over the last... You know, I'm going to ask you, who would you be? Well, uh, the two characters that I'm going to suggest, I mean, if, if I was allowed to sing... Oh. Which I can't, uh, I have to say, but I'm very attracted, having seen Rex Harrison in My Fair Lady, to the character of Henry Higgins. Well, no, hang on, Rex Harrison couldn't sing either. He kind of spoke it, didn't he? Yes, exactly. There was a sort of sing-song voice where he, he, he couldn't reach any high notes, but what he was able to do was to convey into the character of Henry Higgins, who Shaw, frankly, wrote in the original play Pygmalion as a petulant uh, schoolboy, I mean, uh, and very much under his mother's thumb, and we've seen this coming uh, out in a lot of the versions on stage, uh, but nonetheless, Higgins invested, um, Harrison invested Higgins with a great deal of character. Mm. Probably, you could say, to some extent, his own character, <laughs> I suppose, but I've always greatly admired that. The other uh, interesting character that I would like, I think, to have a shot at, but I probably haven't the physicality for it, but I do, in fact, give performances as this person. I give a lecture on Mutiny on the Bounty, which, of course, is the most controversial mutiny of all time. And I reenact scenes from the three Bounty films. Mm. And as Captain Bly, uh, I think that there are a lot of challenges. Or Fletcher Christian. I mean, either of them. One of them was somebody who was a brilliant um, navigator, but a martinet, and somebody also who... Um, unquestionably had deep character flaws and the other 
who was a, a complex person driven it would appear by Bly's temper uh, to uh, breaking point. So in the bounty, I'm or I'm intrigued by this, and I reenact scenes from this um, from the three films: the Lawton Gable film, the Howard Brando film, and also the Anthony Hopkins and Mel Gibson film uh, before audiences. Which so, is the which is the best out of those three versions? Oh, definitely Charles Lawton because he plays Bly as a, a monster, but it's unforgettable. I mean, it's no resemblance to history, but it's a terrific fun. Why do some film characters stand the test of time and 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 really stand out? Because a lot of them are quite bland, but there are some that are just so striking that thirty, forty, fifty years later, they're still. Relevant because of the tremendous controversy, uh, for example, about say the Mutiny and the Bounty. I mean, two and a half thousand books, tracts, pamphlets, and so on have been written about it. And I mean, if you look at a whole series of characters, some we've seen recently, for example, look at Daniel Day Lewis's incredible Lincoln. I mean, that will be a performance that I suspect couldn't be bettered mm. because. They do is get so involved in the role. If you go back over, say, 70 years, look at the difference Henry VIII's we've had. I mean, we have an obsession with the Tudors and uh, Elizabeth I. There are a whole series of characters who fascinate the public. Once I think it's realized that an individual, Sir James Bond, for example, who of course is fictional, but an individual has a grip on the popular imagination you then have a series of sequels. And, of course, we're obsessed with sequels at the moment, or should I say the film companies are, because they know that there is an audience out there that is going to go and see them in in, in very large numbers. That's one of the reasons. So if you know a character, uh, you can either follow that character through the different actors playing them, or if it's a sequel that appeals, a film that has numerous sequels, I'm afraid in 2015 they've just announced the uh, list of films that we're going to have. And I mean, the whole series of characters, uh, of sequels, including, I have to say, The Hunger Games, which is one that I'm fascinated by. And they're going to be Hunger Games 2, 3, 4, and so Wow. So, I mean, the sequel, I'm afraid, is here to stay. And some of them are very good. Others, uh, well, I tremble when Pirates of the Caribbean rises up again and it's going to the fifth version quite shortly. Richard, l- lovely to talk to you. I could, I, I, Richard Fitzwilliam is uh, Fitzwilliams is uh, I, my favourite f- go-to film person. He's always a delight. I was very tempted to ask him to do a little bit of mutiny for us. I, we, we didn't have much time. I was tempted for a little bit of mutiny. Thank you very much, Richard. In sport, a, uh, Australian cricketer Aaron Finch produced the finest innings in international 2020 cricket history. Oh, this is Boyle's done this, because I didn't know what sport we were talking about. <laughs> She's being childish. Australian cricketer Aaron Finch produced the finest innings in international 2020 cricket history smashing 156 in just 63 cricket balls as Australia's cricket team beat England's cricketers by 39 runs in Southampton at cricket. (laughs) You're not clever, Boyle. No one's laughing. He's (laughs) laughing at you, not with you, aren't you? Uh. Yes, he is. He's on my side. BBC Three Counties Radio. If you could be any character in any film, JVS, who would it be? Gosh, look at you springing that on! Well, me. if you've been listening to the show, you'd well, I have been listening, but it. I wasn't thinking about it. I don't, I oh. don't know what I'd be. 
Who would I be? Mrs. Doubtfire? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yes, dearie <laughs> me. So we've got the keyboard set up. Yes. What are you going to play for us today? Well, do you want me to play you some hits? <laughs> you are a bit of a, um, a pianist, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So childish. <laughs> so childish and so yet childish. always funny. Always, always entertaining. <laughs> what, 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 you, you do like um, uh, playing, though, don't you? You, you like, uh, I was going to say tinkling on the ivories, but that sounds like an innuendo and it isn't. <laughs> you like playing um, on your organ. No, you can play the piano. There's nothing rude about that. <laughs> no, I... You like well, a bit of Neil Sedaka? <laughs> Ooh, I, I hear laughter in the rain, walking hand in hand. No, don't, I'm doing the harmony. You've just, you jumped up to the harmony then. Solitaire's the only game in town. Every road that takes her takes him down. It's beautiful. Thanks You've got much. a lovely voice. Thank you. you. I do, actually. I do. Perhaps we could start up a barbershop quartet. There's only two of us. We'd need two others. <laughs> two others. Roberto and Nick. I think I'm busy then. Nick could wear one of his hats. <laughs> Did you see the picture? I'm worried about Nick. Last week he was trying on uh, women's shoes. Oh. Yesterday on Facebook there's a picture with a picture of him with a hat on. I missed the <laughs> picture of him with a hat. What kind? What kind of hat is he wearing? <laughs> You've not seen it. No, I'm not seeing it. Let's you must uh, check it out. I'm going to have a little look now. Don't worry about Nick. He's happy. <laughs> he's, he's doing he a looks good job. Very happy. Looks <laughs> too happy. <laughs> look. Where? where go, oh, look. Go, go look. down. Go down. Hang on a minute. If you haven't checked it out, ladies and gentlemen, go on our Facebook. <laughs> Facebook.com for us. Is that, is that him? No, that's... Uh... Oh! <laughs> it is... <laughs> it's... De- that lady on the right doesn't look very impressed, does she? He looks like Her Majesty. <laughs> I'll tell you something, though. I've, I've not seen him in a short, short sleeve T-shirt before. He's quite buff, isn't he? But don't you think it looks like a dress? <laughs> Yes, it does look like a dress. <laughs> it, Doesn't it? And his hat matches, matches his stripy Nick, just come dress. out. Come on, we'll all like you just the same. His hat matches his stripy dress. Oh, bless him. No. But it's fun. It's just a bit of fun. Yes. A bit of <clears> harmful, <throat> harmless cross-dressing fun. It's, we've all done it. Yes. <clears throat> serious stuff on the show today. Very no serious stuff. I'm just trying to compose myself. No, I know we're, we're, we're moving into serious mode. The, yes. the Syria has uh, really uh, been the, the topic of debate this week, hasn't it? It's, uh, it's hit the fan. I think that's, uh, that's how you would put it this morning. Certainly lots of MPs are, are kicking off on both sides of the argument this yep. morning. From nine on today's big phone-in, are you relieved or ashamed that MPs voted to keep us out of Syria? MPs have debated and firmly rejected any possible military action against the Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. David Cameron had called for action to prevent any future use of chemical weapons, but he was outvoted by 285 to 272. Two, Labour leader Ed Miliband argued in the Commons that there was no definitive proof Assad was behind the recent chemical attack and no evidence military action by the UK would help the Syrian people. Well, prominent Liberal Democrat Paddy Ashdown, who is a former Royal Marine, an intelligence officer for the UK Security Services, has told journalists this morning he's been left very depressed and ashamed 
by those MPs voting to stop Britain taking action. Well, I want to hear your views this morning from Nine. Are you relieved or ashamed that MPs voted to keep us out of Syria? 08459 Yes, thank you very much. We're going to be talking about that now. As uh, you've just heard, Britain won't be taking military action in Syria after all. In an unexpected move, the government was narrowly defeated in the Commons last night with MPs voting against any intervention. Well, joining me now is Foreign Office Minister and MP for North East Bedfordshire, Alistair Burke. Good morning, Alistair. How did you vote last night? Well, I voted with the government last night for the uh, motion put forward by the Prime Minister. So you must be disappointed at the, the, the way things went? Yes, I am. I make no bones about it. The government had a course of action which we set out to Parliament, uh, and clearly that was different to uh, what Parliament has decided. But the government is also a servant of Parliament and respects the will of Parliament, so we will uh, work with the policy which Parliament has, uh, has given us. Why do you think it went against uh, uh, David Cameron last night? Um, I think there are lots of reasons. Um, I, I think for some time it's been clear that the shadow of Iraq is uh, is very large. There is a scepticism about information put forward by authority. I think there is a genuine worry and fear always about whether or not uh, committing any form of military action, it, it, even though this was not about boots on the ground and it wasn't about intervention in the civil in a Syrian civil war, there is, there is natural worry which MPs share because these are big decisions. So I think there was a whole series of things which came together, and I'm afraid a bit of politics at the end of the day, uh, which gave uh, de- uh, Edward uh, Ed Miliband a chance to uh, to score something against the government. And uh, do you think that the the rebels and Labour are playing politics with people's lives? Well, I I never use, and I'm not known for using those sort of cliches, so I wouldn't say that. I mean, I think there was an element of politics involved, and clearly uh, Ed Miliband's position has been been changed by the action which he's taken, but there's some risk there. Uh, Foreign policy should be something where there's a great deal of consensus. This was a big decision. You could argue it either way, regardless of the politics. So I think it was disappointing to many of us that politics came into this in any way. But I'm not particularly keen to go down that road. The question now is um, uh, about our foreign policy, how it works, respecting the will of Parliament, but also making sure we're able to take the action we believe is necessary to protect British interests abroad. We want a strong reaction to someone who has used chemical weapons on his people and who, I will be straightforward about it, I now think that unless action is taken against him, we'll carry on using chemical weapons. But whatever action that is, it will not involve the United Kingdom. What I don't get, Alistair, and I was surprised to learn this yesterday, that uh, Assad has, uh, we've been led to believe, used chemical weapons 13 or 14 times in the last two years. Why have we not intervened before? Um, because... It's been relatively small scale. We have gone through the UN. We've given our evidence to the United Nations of what we believe has been the um, uh, has been the usage by the Syrian regime of chemical weapons, and that evidence is still being evaluated by the United Nations. What happened last week, the twenty first of August, was a much bigger, much more serious attack. Uh, we believe we have the uh, evidence that it was the regime which did it, and we believe the scale of it prompted a different response. Um, but it was that pattern of usage by the regime in the uh, in the last year or so which gave us extra confidence that it was the regime this time. That is why there has been a different response. Daily Telegraph, blow to Cameron. The Times, Cameron humiliated. The Independent, humiliating defeat for Cameron. Doesn't look good for him, does it? 
No, uh, I, I would be foolish if I came on your program and said it was uh, anything other than a very disappointing outcome for him. Is he humiliated? But, no, I don't think he is, and I don't think people can have it always. Uh, we've been pressed for some time by parliamentarians and by constituents who said, you must talk to Parliament about this, Parliament must be consulted, and you've got a Prime Minister who agrees, uh, even at the risk of his policy being rejected by Parliament. So he has done what Parliament wanted to do, wanted him to do. He has put that case to them. Uh, I'm disappointed that Parliament has taken the view that it has, but we are a government that works by the will of the people and by the will of Parliament, and we will now adjust accordingly. He's recalled Parliament. He had to water down his uh, initial proposal. Uh, this this has to be embarrassing for him. If even his watered-down version um, doesn't get voted through. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to quibble with you in relation to an embarrassment or difficulty or anything else. I mean, that's quite patently true. But what he was trying to do when he uh, adjusted the motion was to take into account the views of MPs which had already started to come through, the views of the opposition, in order to present a motion to Parliament which was as consensual as possible, which offered the possibility of a further vote next week in order to reassure colleagues. He did everything you would want a Prime Minister to do, those people who say, why doesn't government listen to the people? He did. Um, and it was still not enough for Parliament. That was Parliament's judgment. But I think the Prime Minister did the right thing to recall uh, Parliament in case there was very urgent action needed or likely to happen in the next few days. He consulted. He hasn't got the result he wanted. That is politics. But it's a Prime Minister who listened to people and recalled Parliament as people had wanted him to do. I think it's unfair to criticise him now for having done what the people wanted him to do. How clean are our hands in this, Alistair? Have we sold weapons to Syria? No, uh, I don't think we've sold any weapons to Syria for as, as long as people can recall. This is a regime that we've not had um, serious contact with for, uh, for a long time because of our concern about their human rights record and everything else. Syria has been supplied by Russia. Uh, Syria has been supplied by Russia for as long as anyone can remember. There's been uh, 30,000 Russians sort of, uh, uh, you know, regularly in, in Syria over a period of time. Their military links are very strong. You know, this has nothing to do with us in terms of supplying Syria. A final question, Alistair. What, what happens next? What, 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 is, what will Britain's involvement be in this? Uh, we will stay in close touch with our partners and allies in terms of uh, what they intend to do. I think we still, and I hope the British people would agree with this, believe that uh, the use of chemical we weapons is wrong, uh, should be stopped. Uh, we need to find ways to make it clear that this is unacceptable in the 21st century, and we need to find ways in which to deter the regime from doing so. Uh, uh, Alistair, thank you very much indeed. Foreign Office Minister, MP for North East Bedfordshire, Alistair Burt, 08459 455 555 if you want to give us a call on that. It's 8.30, BBC Three Counties Radio. And that's your latest news and sport. I'll be back with more at nine o'clock. Catherine Boyle. Yes. You could be any character in any film. Who are you going to be? Something um, modest, humble, understated. Cleopatra. Oh, really? Yeah, with all the slaves and everything else. You'd have to have a, um, a, a bath in milk. Yeah, people fanning me, feeding me grapes. We can forget the asps bit at the end. That was a bit. That went a bit wrong. But apart from that, I'm all in. Thank you very much. Call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got the, the, about 35 people in there. Good morning, everybody. Here we go, that's how it works there, you see, well done. We'll be with you shortly, you can just hang out and, and see the showbiz lifestyle that uh, is uh, the radio. 08459 455 555 if you want to uh, give me uh, a phone call. Uh, now, we've been talking about gadgets... Oh, my phone's going off, look. Here we go. 
That's better, you see. Uh, gadgets this morning, as a nation, £16.6 billion worth of gadgets that we never use. On average, the typical family has £650 of underused, in many cases, never used items in their homes. I think I'm one of these people. I buy stuff, go, oh, that'll be a good idea to get something. I- I've got a juicer somewhere. It's the most... Why do you need a juicer? You- guess what, kids? You can buy juice in supermarkets. They sell stuff already juiced. Number one in this list, Justin Dealey. Yes. Chocolate fountains. Yeah, I've got one. I've got one sitting at the bottom of my wardrobe doing absolutely nothing, gathering dust amongst my 300 pairs of shoes. Why would you... Why... At what point in your life did you think, oh, do you know what I need? I need a chocolate fountain. I went through this weird stage where I thought, you know what, I want to invite people to my home and have parties. It it was a bad phase of my life, but um, I'm through that now. I used to have a foot spa and I used to... Oh, no. Sorry? What? That is a horrible image. Why? What, with me relaxing and having my foot ma- feet massaged? No, 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 thank you. This Can was you move it, on? This was like when I was about 26 as well, so I was quite young, and I'd get my foot spa out and uh, just sit there watching a bit of telly. Oh, no. Getting some nice f- my nice feet action going. So, so let's get this right. You, you're sitting there watching TV w- yep. with your foot spa at 26. Now yes. you're, what, 47? Um, you're sitting there in your... 40. Under- 40. Uh, in your underpants, uh, eating a pizza, watching, was it Watchdog? Yeah, I do like a bit of Watchdog, yeah. yes. Big fan yeah. of Watchdog, yes. Lovely. Your, your, your point is... I'm just saying, it's, it's getting weirder, isn't it, as, you, as you're getting older. Foot spa's one thing, but now, okay. in your underpants with a pizza, watching Watchdog, I'm just saying. Okay, very, very, uh, very rude. Uh, Justin, you've been out speaking to people about this, haven't you? Yes, first for news. Um, some of the um, unused gadgets people have got, um, some interesting stories. Here's what people had to say. Uh, well, I've got a sushi maker, actually, I got for Christmas. And um, I have made sushi before, and I guess someone thought it was a good idea to give me a sushi maker, but I've actually never used it. Probably not even come out of the packet. Not even once? No. Okay, what else? Um, espresso coffee maker. Sounds like a great thing. Made about three cups of coffee. Um, the milky bit goes a bit monkey, you know, when it does, when you don't wash it properly, and then basically never gets used again. Regular coffee, you know, that's the thing. So how much did that cost you? Can you remember? Um, that was a present too. Uh, right. So I don't know how much... It, I mean, they're, what are they, 50, 60 quid, something like that, those sort of things. So probably too much money and complete waste. I mean, would you like to say sorry right now to your friends and family who have bought these in good faith? <laughs> yeah, very sorry. But I did. I, I liked unwrapping it. It was a great moment, but I haven't actually used it, so I'm sorry about that. It's a food mixer with lots of attachments. How much did it cost? Actually, it cost £10. I got £10? It. Quid. Yeah, I got it in the local paper. It was brand new, but there's too many gadgets and it takes up too much space. So, Chris, uh, what have you got then? Unused gadgets? Um, a very safe... Well, unsafe. Uh, electric bread slicer. Um, had it for years. Don't know where I bought it. Don't know why we bought it. But uh, never used it. And it's got a heck of a blade on it. Yeah. Which, um, if, <laughs> if you leave it... It's, it's almost like a, a bench saw, in a way. Just sitting there doing nothing. Sitting there doing nothing. Gathering dust. Gathering dust and giving me nightmares, yes, just in case it... Uh, turns itself on one of these days so an electric bread that, that's a knife is it mm, yes why would anyone i know you can get electric carving knives why would anyone do that what's what's so difficult about cutting things i don't know you know what it is as a nation you walk into any shop right now yep. and they try and make things easy for you i mean yep. going back a few years ago who'd have thought you could walk into a supermarket and buy grated cheese do you know what i, I thought uh, it was ridiculous but i buy it now yes yes well yeah, yeah, it, the grating is such difficult i remember actually i did buy because i thought it looked cool and i used it t- three times it, 
and then it broke. Yeah. Um, it's a, an electric tin opener, but it does it itself. Right. So you clip it onto the tin, and it would just... And three minutes later, you'd have a, an open tin. <laughs> you probably bought that, didn't you? Just so you could sit there and look at it. Yeah. Hey, guys, look what I've yeah. got. Watch yeah. this. Uh, all those yeah. tins of beans that were just wasted. If you L- were literally none of my friends were impressed by it. No. It was a wonderful thing. Justin, this football thing we've been talking about this yeah. morning, about the, uh, the, the flares and the smoke bombs at football. Mm. Uh, listen, I want you to have a listen to it. This is a comment on Facebook, okay? These guys, these guys are just trying to raise the atmosphere at Watford Games after the appalling singing and support at Wembley when we had people telling others to sit down or be quiet. I've been taking my girls to Watford since the youngest was three. She's now 16 and we've always sat in the rookery. If you're worried about your kids, sit in the family stand. It's football. All these boys are doing is making it more enjoyable. It's being policed by sensible guys who are responsible for groups. All is above board and has the club's backing. So this guy's saying, yeah, we'll have some of that, it's all right. What on earth is that person talking about? Um, when it comes to taking smoke bombs into football grounds or taking flares into football grounds, firstly, it's illegal, so it's not being policed, and if you are caught with them, there's every chance you'll be banned for, for three years from every football ground in this country, and you'll get a heavy fine as well, so that's the first thing. But if you were taking your family to a game, if you've got a small child and one of these smoke bombs goes off, a, it stinks, and B, that can be quite scary because you can't even see the game. How that raises the atmosphere is beyond me. I mean, Watford took 4,000 fans to Reading recently. Fantastic away support. 4,000 people can make an awful amount of noise. You don't need a smoke bomb or a flare to improve the atmosphere. It's ridiculous. Daily, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455555. Uh, we've been talking about Syria this morning as well. Are you uh, uh, pleased or disappointed with the decision that was made yesterday? Pat's in Houghton Regis. Morning, Pat. Good morning. Pat, what do you think? Are you pleased with the decision yesterday not to get involved? Shame on those ministers and shame on the, the government itself. I mean, you're talking about watching children, women and children die. Yeah. And for people to sort of sit back, bury their heads in the sand... I mean, what has this country come to? They fought two world wars because of dictators all around the world, and now they're shying away from their responsibilities to not um, us, really, but to humanity. Why why is that our responsibility? Well, let's put it in another way. If this country was under attack and you looked at your grandchildren and your children, you saw them dying because of chemical weapons, and America normally sits back anyway until it's too late to enter any war... You'd be angry with the world not acting, not reacting. But but the thing is, Syria isn't under attack. It's well, a, it's a civil war. Humanity is under attack, isn't it? Really, you're talking about human beings. You you might class you know numbers in countries, but when you talk about humanity itself, something should be done about it. Take away the politics. Take away the religion. Take away everything like that. Look at what's happening to those children. Look at what's happening to those women. And we've got disgraceful, unstable leaders all over the world, all huffing and puffing and having secret meetings while these people are dying. It's wrong. But we don't know. The, 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 one of the points that was raised several times yesterday is we don't have evidence uh, that uh, Assad is responsible for these chemical attacks. Well, quite frankly, it's, it's, it doesn't matter who's responsible. Well, it, well, it does. We can't, go in, we can't go in and attack someone if we don't know who, who, who did the crime. Well, look, you, you've, got, you've seen the TV footage. You've got reporters out there. Right. You've got people presenting evidence that it is a sad, in well, any case. What, what evidence? 
Well, you're talking about the reporter saying it looks like it's uh, coming well, uh, from we, we can't, we can't, um, uh, we can't launch an attack on a country based on YouTube and a reporter. Well, you're, you know, you're, you're taking into the, the sort of uh, let's retreat back until we can find how many have died, and then once we've got so many hundreds of thousands dead, and then we do get this uh, report out, what they should do is go straight in and find that evidence. Well, they've, they, they've, the they've tried to. The, um, the, the uh, UN inspectors tried to go in the other day and they got shot at. That's what I'm saying. We should send in a force to find that evidence, not just wait, <laughs> just go in there. And whoever's going to fire at the soldiers for finding that evidence... You can't, pack, I, I, you can't I, just send in a load of soldiers into another country. That's an invasion. Oh, you know, it's just beggar's belief. Well, we'll just all sit back and we'll all talk about it while we're watching innocent women and children dying in another country. That's wrong. That's wrong. Thank you very much. Uh, JVS is going to be continuing talking about this after night. Are you relieved or ashamed that MPs voted to keep us out of Syria? I think the tide is turning ever so slightly. When Jonathan talked about this, I think, on Tuesday, everyone was dead against it. Then we did it yesterday, and then he did as well, and there was kind of a, a few people popping up saying, well, actually, no, we should get involved. Then you get to hear people like Pat who is ashamed that we haven't got involved. Well, you can give uh, JVS a call. Oh, uh, oh, 08459 You can email him, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk, or you can send a text, 81333. Start your text, 3CR. We're getting to you soon, everybody. You've been very patient. Uh, we've got uh, a 10-piece uh, back. How many... Uh, how many uh, uh, is the full 10 here? Oh, man, those trombonists. Oh, they do my head in. Sacked. Sacked. It's official. Uh, we've got 27 strings coming to play some music before the end of the show. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. It's Musical Friday, everybody. Cue spontaneous cheer from the band. I said spontaneous, not sarcastic, for goodness sakes. Uh, we're joined by, uh, well, it's a ten-piece band, but not everybody's here, from Bishop Stortford, called 27 Strings. Robin, you are, you've been elected the spokesperson for this, have you? Yeah. Why, why, why are you the spokesperson? Are you the, the most intelligent? Uh, no, I'm the singer, which makes me the least intelligent. Ah, um, I see, yes. We're a ten-piece folk band from Bishop Stortford, and we're going to play a few tunes, I believe. Why, now, f- you say folk, what kind of folk? All kinds of folk. Yeah. I mean, the pieces that we uh, arrange ourselves are mostly traditional folk, but we love doing covers of modern folk pieces. You're young sorts. people, apart from the dads that have obviously driven you in today. Well, well done, dads. Uh, you're, you're all young people. Why, well, how old's the youngest? Who is the youngest? Uh, he's 12, and he's our violinist. He's absolutely amazing. What's your name, young 12-year-old violinist? I'm Chris. Chris. Why folk music? Surely you should be into, I don't know, the Backstreet Boys and Kylie Minogue. <laughs> Uh, no, not really. I'm actually a classical violinist oh. quite a lot, so folk music makes quite a change. Listen, shall we, shall, shall we have a little song from you, then we'll have another little chat. What are you going to play for us first, Robin? Uh, Jolly Beggar Man, which is arranged by our accordionist, Will. Away you go. Oh, fantastic! I'll have some of that! Well, that was, uh, that was, uh, sparky. A little bit rude. You didn't tell me it's going to have pornographic, uh, lyrics in yeah. there. Luckily, it was a very high-frequency rudeness that I don't think many of our listeners, uh, would have got. Robin, how long have you all been together, and how did you get together? Uh, well, it was in our school, which was Bishop Stortford High School. Um, Will and I, he's the accordion player. Hello, Will. Decided we wanted to make a band, not just, like, a conventional sort of school band, but, uh, yep. a folk band, because we didn't really have one of those. Yeah. Then after about three months of playing together, we'd gathered ten people. And we thought, we can give this a shot. We can play more outside school and, and do gigs and stuff. So, 
It's been fun. It's been real it's, fun. It, it's exciting. I'm, I'm a big fan of fake music. My friend used to be in a band that they would do Iron Maiden songs, but in the style of sea shanties. <laughs> and I love it. I think it's a fantastic sound. And it's very exciting. To, I sound like such an old so-and-so. To hear young people, young people playing this kind of music. But, but banjo, banjo player, come forward, come forward, come hither. What's, what's your name? I'm Greg. Greg, now listen, you, you are a flash so-and-so, because I was, I've tried to learn the banjo. Right. I can't do it. It's that fifth string, and it's that, that plucking the, with the thumb. I can't do it. You've, yes. you've only been playing what six, seven months. Yeah. Give give us a little, give us a little uh, uh, tinkle. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> I hate you. How much? How much practice do you put into that? Um, a fair amount. I practice with the band, which is like at school. It's like every week or twice a week. Um, but I made a transition from guitar, and it's quite easy. Do, pe- do people not think you're uh, a little bit odd for playing the banjo? I love the banjo. I think it's one of the most underused instruments in rock yeah. in particular. Do people not think, oh, you're a bit weird with this five-string? What's going on there? Yeah, but I think it's cool. It's a different sound, and I like it. Mm. So. No, good for you. Keep yeah. it up, definitely. The tradi- we've got, the, we've got a, the, the proper electric bass there. We had a little breakdown. I believe that's the m- musical term, which I enjoy very much. I'm a bass player. Why? Uh, well, th- is that not cheating, though? Electric bass? Yeah, well, it is usually cheating. I normally play the double bass ah. in this band, but it's, it's, I've had a bit of a mishap with it this week. It's kind of, um, well, the bridge has been falling down, uh, so I didn't want to risk it. Did you see the, today. The, the double bass bridge is falling down? <laughs> uh, Robin, do you go and play gigs and do things? Yeah, uh, we're doing some uh, this week, in fact. We're in Brownstock uh, tonight, right. in fact, uh, near Chelmsford. Uh, Manuden, which is where we live. We, we play sort of around Bishop Stilford, where we come from. And Woodfest as well in Hatfield Forest. And is there um, a, a, a website or a Twitter or anything if, if anybody wants to come and uh, find out more? Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter. You can find contact details on those. And do you write your own songs at all, or is it all traditional? Well, in folk music, uh, arranging traditional stuff is called writing your own songs. So <laughs> we do <laughs> I a see. lot of that. Clever. Um, it's Will, our accordion player, who does a lot of that. And we've actually just. Uh, released an EP oh. of some traditional tunes that he's created and it's called Lowlands and it's for, uh, it's for sale on, on download on Bandcamp and, and stuff like that so fantastic buy it at any of, of our gigs as um, well um, well, the, it, the thing is I've, I've been in bands it's hard enough getting four people together to rehearse getting all of you lot together is it, is it a nightmare? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Simple as. Sim- and where do you? I'm assuming these are the, the, these old men with you are, are dads. Is that correct? That that is correct. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and do you rehearse in in the house, or where do you where do you all meet up? Uh, often it's uh, Rob, our, our drummer's house as well. He's he's a driving force behind. And do your do your parents your, mind at all? All these people uh, turning no, up. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Uh, the, the, the drummer with the back room it's perfect that's exactly what you need all right listen you've got another song for us have you what, what have we got this time uh this is called the gypsy and the apple it's an instrumental piece oh i'm intrigued let's let's uh, away you go this is 27 strings with the gypsy and the apple oh fantastic i love it oh i love it it's brilliant i'm deeply envious that you're in a band like that i'm actually I, is it, listen stack the trombone stuff let me come in and strum some <laughs> g- g- uh, guitar chords quite badly is that possible would that be weird it would be a little bit weird wouldn't it robbie very quickly give out the facebook address again if people want to come and uh, and have a look oh you forgot it uh, <laughs> facebook.com yeah. slash 27 strings band 
Well done, you see. I said he was behind all the You've done a CD in the style of a packet of strings. You see? Well done. Listen, thank you so much for coming in. Absolutely fantastic. I love that. Brilliant. Right, that's it. Um, oh, look, a quick update. Dave Barrett from Dialeride, you remember this from earlier on in the week, has sent a text in say he's getting ready to meet Luton Borough Council leader Hazel Simmons for coffee. This was a meeting that we brokered on this show. We'll have an update on Monday to let you know what happened. Let's get the travel news. Right, there we go, Craig. Thank you very much. Sue in Welling Garden City has texted in say that 27 strings are awful. Awesome. Awesome. Sorry. <laughs> I read it wrong. How rude of me. Awful mistake to have made there. Thank you so much for coming in. That was genuinely brilliant. Absolutely loved that. That's it. That's your lot. Don't forget you can download a new edition of the podcast today, probably about one, two o'clock. Uh, JVS is up next. Have a nice weekend. Until Monday at six from me, ta-ta. On FM, AM, online and digital radio. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian. Good